This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside looking in. Welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey. I'm Karen Moynihan. And this week, we're heading to the Sweet Valley Courthouse as we await the verdict. Oh my God. And in fairness to this book, it actually is something that happens in the book. So we're not actually like <laughs> weeks later or like the morning after, i.e. two weeks later kind of nonsense. So so that's a win, I guess, yeah. of sorts. I mean, it's probably the best thing about this book because I'm just, I'm warning you now, listeners. <laughs> this is a descent after yeah. the delightful madness. There was a definitely a new ghostwriter involved. De- oh, look, I mean, consistency pretty much went out the window uh, with oh. this one. I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, you you really didn't like this one. Although I, I will say that there was a scene where I gasped. Uh, so I was quite entertained by certain <laughs> parts of this and it has some things going for it in that mm, I'm sure you'll yes. all be glad to hear we are fucking done with the Nicholas Morrow storyline. Thank God. Oh, so that's, God. you know, that's something else in this book's favour, I feel like. <laughs> True, but I'm just going to warn everybody. Margot's voice is gone. Oh man, what a loss. I just, I don't know. Yeah, we were about halfway through the book and I was kind of like, I don't think her voice has turned up. But there's a lot of, you know, interior monologues from Margot, but no, no raspy voice talking to her. No. Uh, And also there's such a uh, jolting disconnect between Lila's story in this book and where we left her in the last that I genuinely started worrying like oh shit did I miss a did book like same I- honestly I actually went back and checked but I was like no this is definitely the next one they've just like skipped a bunch of stuff that I guess was resolved I don't know <laughs> I mean very unsatisfying listeners just tell you that much um, but as usual we will dive right in with taglines and blurbs and Karen can you share the uh, tagline please I can indeed and it is innocent until proven guilty I mean that's apparently not a given in Sweet Valley uh, (laughs) the way everybody's been treating Elizabeth nor is it an indication of any kind of law processing making any kind of sense or the slightest bit of reason attached to any of this court case nonsense it is hilarious how all over the place uh, I feel like everybody should have lost their jobs at the end of this oh my god Ned should be struck off like (laughs) should have been struck long ago but like this is sure the nail in the coffin to his lawyering career because what is this man doing? <laughs> he is the worst defence lawyer I think I have ever encountered in fiction which is saying something like mind-blowingly bad. So funny. He, that's, this man does not know what I would make a better lawyer than Ned Wakefield like this man has no <laughs> clue what he's at. Oh God. Well, before we find out about the, more about that here is the full blurb. The verdict isn't in yet on Elizabeth Wakefield, but her twin sister Jessica has already convicted her and won't even talk to Elizabeth. Now that Jessica has Todd, will life ever be the same for Elizabeth? Just saying now, she should not forgive either of those pricks. I mean, yeah, we will get into that. (laughs) Pamela has transferred to Sweet Valley High to be closer to Bruce Patman, the boy she really loves. Inexplicably. 
There is literally no good reason for this, Pamela. Save yourself. (laughs) My God. Seriously. Um, Anyway, but Bruce still won't look at her. Pamela's made a final break with her past. But is it enough? Between building a relationship with his new female roommate, (gasps) Lee, and being there for his troubled family, Stephen Wakefield is completely worn out. It's clear that he can't do both. What will he do? That's not really his plot line in this. No, not really. (laughs) And dot, dot, dot. Margot has arrived in Sweet Valley and is ready to take over her new life even if it belongs to someone else. Oh, fucking hell. Just, we need Margot in here to clear the decks and just... <laughs> Take <laughs> Like, team Margot all day long. Please get her in. Get her murdering. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> well, we're told this is book three in this explosive six-part miniseries. Sweet Valley will never be the same. <gasps> we'll pretty much forget about this until the return of the evil twin book. Yeah. Um, several, I don't know, 50 books in. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's the end of the blurb. But can you describe the cover, which is oh, a doozy? This, this is a great cover. I think this is my favourite of these like new style covers mm-hmm. so far. Um, because our main event, I guess, on it is Liz in the dock. Uh, <gasps> yes. Looking very sad, I guess. She's looking to camera, but I don't know, maybe she's got a hint of sass to her that I feel like is very much not what's happening in the book. Uh, (laughs) She's wearing, is this silky? Is it linen? I'm not sure what what kind of a a texture we're dealing with here. Um, It's like a shirt, but the kind of lapels are so big, it's almost like, wait, is it a blazer? But then the sleeves are short. There's kind of a lot going on and I don't know what any of it means. (laughs) I thought it was a sort of giant shoulder padded dress. Oh, it probably is a dress. You're right. Yes, mm, that would make sense. It's, it's odd. It is. Weird. And again, it's 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 the dress of a much older woman than a 16 year old on trial for manslaughter. Um, 1993. But uh, but her hair looks great. That's nice. Um, True. You know, it's 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 almost Jessica like in its waviness. Uh, <gasps> and there's no yeah. barrettes that I can see, I don't think so. <gasps> Held back by hairspray alone. Right there, and sheer willpower. She's uh, (laughs) changing it up for court. Uh, And then, kind of behind her, there's, uh, I guess, a look at is this the court, the Sweet Valley Courthouse? Mm. Uh, It's got those kind of, it's that kind of like pillars and the kind of triangle on top that's very much the courthouse from Back to the Future that turns up in everything. Save the clock tower. The one, like, <laughs> basically, if you're trying to picture it, it's that. Yeah. Um, uh, and then over to the side in um, a smaller image, but to complete this little collage effect. Oh, mm. fucking hell. It's fucking Margot, you guys. Yes, it is. Oh, this is the image I actually used uh, when we were just teasing the appearance <laughs> of Margot in, in the first episode she turned up in. So it's her uh, on a train platform. So we can see a big silver train beside her stretching away into the distance. So she's walking along the platform. She's got her dark hair loose around her <gasps> Wakefield face. Um, she's wearing a white jumper. It's kind of a polo neck, I think. Uh, long oh, sleeves. She's yeah. got a hand in her pocket, actually. That's interesting that that jumper has pockets. I wouldn't have thought it did. Uh, yeah. Looks like she's just wearing kind of white <laughs> tracksuit pants. It's kind of a nondescript outfit, but that would make sense because she's not trying to draw any attention to herself. Oh, no, she's um, not. She's carrying a 
kind of hold all, a brown kind of hold all bag full of mystery, just like <gasps> she is. So this is really exciting. I'm so happy about Margot. Just, I, I was really excited by her kind of uh, little, the little check-in points with Margot in this book, I must say. <laughs> There's not enough of them, I don't think. No, maybe that's what it is, that there was so few and far between that she'd pop up and I'd be like, yes, we're back to Margot. <laughs> Give me more of that. And she does have a few good moments. She sure does. Yeah, even though the voice is missing in action, she still delivers, mm. in fairness to her. True. Well, we begin this uh, this tome in the Casadel Wakefield, where uh, it's the day before the trial and Ned is going through Liz's defence without ever coming up with any other strategy besides magically remember what happened when you were blackout drunk. Seriously, that's that's all he does is badger her for questions that she does not have the answer to that has been established in the last two books. And all he does is go, try to remember, try to remember. It's like, Ned, this is not a defense strategy. I don't know why anybody has come up yet with the thing that, hey, maybe her drink was spiked. Like, oh God, eventually somebody mentions it about halfway through this book. And it is, you know, thrown in there as a possible explanation why no fucking adults have come up with that yet I do not know because that's what you build your fucking defence around surely and it's like well somebody spiked her drink and you know you fucking take an angle of some sort other than waving a blank pad around the place and go try to remember <laughs> when she clearly can't this is the thing like they have a, a 16 year old who has never drunk alcohol before has mm-hmm. certainly never got blackout drunk this is all wildly out of character and they can't it doesn't cross their minds to go okay we've got to come up with a reason why you were drunk mm-hmm. as opposed to like just remember just remember <laughs> like I'm sorry you're the adult lawyer use your imagination <laughs> oh Christ so we, we get a full recap of the Jungle Prom saga and you know how Liz the last thing she remembers is basically telling Sam that she didn't want to be uh she was going to drop out of the jungle prom race. Now mm. she she wants several sheets to the wind at that stage, but not <laughs> totally pissed on this magic alcohol. Mm. Um, so Ned, despite making any effort uh, in his defence strategy, um, swears that he will get her acquitted. And uh, Liz understandably feels hopeless. But then who should she see past the doorway to make her feel even worse? Oh, wait, there's a flash of blonde because uh, Jessica spins past but uh, of course she still has not really said a word to her in all this time yeah so she doesn't blame um jessica for hating her she thinks i'm poison evil i killed sam and i've torn my family apart and we're told pretty popular talented elizabeth wakefield's world in the picture perfect town of sweet valley california had turned into a living nightmare oh my god <laughs> So dramatic. So dramatic. Yeah, the melodrama is still up to 11 in this one. So that's still something to appreciate, I think. True. (laughs) Well, we cut to Todd, who arrives at the beach, and we get the first of many continuity errors in this book. Oh my God, there's so many. Like, there's so many. It's like, basically, if it's not... I was going to say if it's not directly like a Wakefield storyline, but even this is, and they still haven't gotten this (laughs) right. (laughs) It's bizarre. Yeah, because we're told that Todd recognises the car. She'd uh, she'd been driving her mother's since the Jeep got wrecked 
We were literally told last week that they had somehow magically decided to repair the Jeep that Jessica's boyfriend died in and he, she was driving around in it. That was the whole thing. It was parked outside Todd's house and it's like, Liz, recognise the Jeep straight away. That's like, yeah. And it was weird that Jessica was happy to drive around in it after, as you say, her boyfriend was killed in it. So like, none of that made any sense. And now they've just dropped it and <laughs> pretended like the Jeep was never repaired. So they've been driving Alice's car this whole time. We just imagined that last book. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Well, uh, Jessica gets out of Alice's car and for a moment, Todd could almost pretend basically that it's Liz. <laughs> Hopeless logging fills his heart. Uh, but then when he thinks it wasn't Elizabeth, he still takes Jessica's hands in his and pulls her close, wrapping her in a protective embrace. Todd is just a new kind of dumbass in this book. Like it is, every time <sighs> it goes to Todd, it is nothing but frustrating. So just uh, be ready for that, listeners, because he's the worst. <laughs> Well, no, I think we could safely say Jessica's the worst, oh, but God. he is second worst. He's just, yeah, he's just very annoying. Like, it is just really frustrating because his whole thing yeah. all the way through was, oh, I still love Liz, I need to tell oh. her. I'm just going to hang out with Jessica instead. Like, it's but, annoying. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Todd? This is just unhinged behaviour. It really is. Well, speaking of unhinged, we <laughs> got to the casa several hours later where Jessica is in bed, staring at the ceiling, pondering her awful circumstances um so she can't sleep so she goes downstairs and who should she find but alice but alice isn't her usual uh chirpy self Woof. yeah so alice has gone off the deep end fully <laughs> in this book she has just gone full stepford wife yes. robot she is scary <laughs> like she's um yeah like Jess comes down it's like 3am or something and she finds Alice sitting at the kitchen table with like a needle and thread she's like uh, sewing a button onto Ned's shirt or something mm. she's like oh I just wanted to take care of this mending and Jess is like what at 2am and like there's no time like the present Mrs Wakefield chirped like she's really what? weird and upbeat but it's very kind of she's like dissociating for this entire book like it's very concerning <laughs> It really is. And uh, Jessica turns away from her because uh, we're told she couldn't stand to watch her mother cheerfully threading her needle, looking and acting like some kind of crazy lady. And for a second, she almost feels human emotion because uh, she thinks that, um, you know, her mother was barely holding herself together. And Elizabeth's trial is only a day away. And she wonders what if it pushed her over the edge. For a second, guilt pierces her heart. Well, this is the thing because she knows that if she made up with Liz it would probably alleviate some of this like weird awful tension in the house but she's just like yeah it's like it would make both her parents feel better more optimistic uh, she knew how much her anger her refusal to even speak to Elizabeth much less support and comfort her upset them so like there's layers and layers of shite really going on in the house at the minute and she knows that this mm-hmm. would make some of them feel better or just kind of ease some of this fucking tension but she's just like oh maybe I could do that and then it's like she seriously considers the possibility then her eyes narrowed and her heart grew hard. It's like for her mother's pain, she had nothing but pity. But when she thought about Elizabeth, about what Elizabeth had done, I can't forgive her. She took Sam away from me. She killed him. Nothing, nothing, nothing can ever make up for that. <laughs> she tells herself that Liz is going to be found guilty. And even though that'll be awful for the whole family, it's the only fair outcome. But then... For a split second, a tiny measure of doubt flickers through Jessica's mind against her will. She uh, basically remembers spiking the drink. Then she blames Liz for somehow (laughs) 
making her do it? I don't know. And oh god, it's so bad. <laughs> and then Alice is like, you know, pretty much. Could you could you just turn up? Like it's this is gonna be very rough tomorrow when she's on trial for manslaughter. And Jessica just shouts no and bolts into the darkness. Wow. <laughs> and then. From one psycho to somebody slightly less psychotic. You know, a psycho we can root for, I feel like. <laughs> yes, we can. It's Margot. Hooray. <laughs> she is still on that bus, this poor girl. Fucking <laughs> hell. So, yeah, she's, uh, they pass by some town and she's like, Main Street, USA, Margot thought disdainfully. What a snore. Thank <laughs> God I don't have to live in a dump like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bus taken just a pit stop because we, uh, now she has her destination. She's not getting off this bus until it reaches the end of the line. She's riding it all the way across the country to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, to paradise, to Los Angeles, and from there to Sweet Valley, California. <gasps> she thinks once she gets there, she'll be sweet and beautiful too. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, she's laid and dead with her ill-gotten gains. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she's um, she she has her bag with her. Yes, I guess this is the bag on the cover. Uh, she's like uh, going through all her, her treasures. We get a little recap of uh, all the divilment she's been up to <laughs> since she left Long Island when, you know, she set the fire and murdered poor little Nina, yeah. <laughs> stole a bunch of jewellery from Mrs. Smith, murdered Georgie. Uh, oh, and the old lady in the bus station. <laughs> Don't forget her. And uh, yeah, she has a picture she'd torn from that same old lady's newspaper. It's a picture. So she pulls out the black and white newspaper photo. Uh, so she has the caption and the accompanying story. Uh, oh no, the caption was torn off as was mm. the accompanying story. So all she has is the face and the name. So it's like the face and the name were enough. They were perfect. She was perfect. Elizabeth Wakefield. Margot mused. Elizabeth Wakefield of Sweet Valley, California. <laughs> Oh god! So yeah, she's basically like on this bus, like pawing at this photo of Liz's face. It's fucking amazing. I just love her so much. Um, she's like the only difference between us, Elizabeth Wakefield, because <laughs> she's like twirling her hair around her finger, and she goes, "Yours is blonde, and mine is black. The only difference." And soon, <laughs> oh, she's becoming the voice. That's what it is. She doesn't need the voice anymore. She is the voice. Oh. <gasps> Emer Quinn vibes. <laughs> She is the voice. <laughs> We're also told, by the way, do you remember the last book where they said that like Eliz- where she sees Elizabeth and realises that Elizabeth has smiled so much in her life that she has a dimple in her mm. left cheek. And now the tiny dimple in Margot's left cheek deepens. So it's oh like she's God. literally transforming. She's doing it. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> So Margot just continues her journey and the old man next to her makes conversation and she wants to just shout at him and basically tell him to fuck off, but she can't draw any negative attention. And one stage he uh, sings the corn is as high as an elephant's eye, or he just chuckles it. And uh, she wants to she, she wants to say, shut up and leave me alone, you dreadful old fool. Because, um, yeah, if anyone takes a closer look at her, they might retrace her steps and mm. all the way back to uh, to the toaster fire so she t- tells of this tale that is very elaborate about being Judith Brown who was going to look for a long lost mother 
Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, because the old man just asks her if she's from around here, I guess, wherever they've just stopped recently. Uh, so, yeah, she just spins this fucking tale. And it's like she's kind of getting into it as she's making up this story on the fly. Uh, so she's basically written this whole saga for herself where she says she's from Pennsylvania. She's going to L.A. to find her real mother. Uh, she goes on about how... Um, yeah, that her mother was really young and gave her away when she had her, uh, but that she left her, like, what is it? Yeah, a young girl from a small town, <laughs> pregnant and deserted by the boy she loved with no one to turn to, no place to go. She left me one cold winter's day, Christmas Eve, actually, on the steps of a church bundled in a blanket. <laughs> and she really just goes off on one. It's kind of gas how good she is just winging these like mad life stories for herself. Because <laughs> she goes on to reveal then that there was like a, you know, a small donation made to this church every year since she was found there. And eventually the church secretary decided to trace the source of the donation. Oh and it's my God. Mar- goes real mother in LA who's been sending this money every year in the hopes that it would find her so the old man is absolutely loving all of this he's hanging on her every word um yeah so she's saying now that you know now that she's found her she's going to uh to make her way to LA and meet her for the first time so he's uh, absolutely enraptured by this and uh when he has to get off at his stop he's like oh you know I wish I could take you to my sister's house and she'd cook you up a nice breakfast um but uh, Margot's like, oh, I'll be all right. And her voice trembles a tiny bit because she is an actress. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. like, honestly, best supporting actress ever. Uh, <laughs> so she's, uh, he kind of, yeah, he takes pity on her, gives her some money and hands her like um, a sandwich that his sister made for him. Um, and when he leaves, Margot looks at the money and she's like, five bucks, big deal. So she's like, what a fucking cheapskate for that amazing story. <laughs> But um, she also looks at the sandwich like it's a turkey sandwich. <laughs> she sniffs it and throws it out the window because I guess Margot just fucking hates sandwiches. Like, That's so mad. She's so angry about that cheese sandwich in the last book. It's like if you try and give the woman a sandwich, she will straight up kill you. <laughs> I mean, I would never. If I was on a bus and starving and someone gave me a sandwich, I. I'd practically bite their hand off. Like, <laughs> why does she keep rejecting sandwiches? <laughs> it's always sandwiches and she's always <laughs> disgusted. It's so funny. She just hates them so much. She really <laughs> takes it as like a personal in- injury when somebody oh gives her a sandwich. So funny. <laughs> well, she's sitting there starving, but, uh, but <laughs> it's better than taking a free sandwich I guess um and we cut to Sweet Valley where Caroline uh like this isn't also in the recent books it's like Caroline and Lila is like part of the gang with Lila Mm. and Amy and Jessica but anyway uh who we might remember they all like they all bullied her in the love letters one where she was had to pretend to have a boyfriend so they Mm -hmm. wouldn't torment her but anyway um she feels sorry for Liz and Lila uh, looks at the headline and shivers at the at the words Wakefield manslaughter trial starts tomorrow and says manslaughter trial they make it sound like she's a serial killer or something I mean that's literally not the opposite of manslaughter that's not it at all (laughs) come on Lila Well, Liz apparently looks awful in the photo. Um, she's her sunstreaked, once sunstreaked blonde hair looks hung limply around a thin, unsmiling face that even in the grainy image looked as pale as milk. I mean, she basically looks Irish. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Right, Irish, anyway. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, we get a recap of Lila's recent trauma and how, you know, it was worth hitting rock bottom because it led to the reconciliation of uh, Grace and George. And we're I guess we're completely ignoring how last week we finished with Lila feeling, first of all, incredibly hurt at Grace's self-involvement and putting Pierre over her mm-hmm. and also hearing Grace crying in Fowler Crest. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, like literally all of that stuff has just been skipped over. So it's just like, yeah. oh, Grace is here now and everything's fucking chill. So there's been no resolution to any of this stuff. Because yeah, it was really kind of left on like, a, oh, what's up with Grace? Why is she crying? And also her and Lila were on bad terms like at the end yeah. of the last book because, you know, Grace was extremely unfucking cool and bringing up really difficult topics and then just bailing on Lila like two seconds later because of Pierre who unfortunately <laughs> has gone the way of Margot's crazy raspy inner voice and is also just not mentioned or heard of at all in this book is he still chilling out in the Beverly Hills Hotel did he fuck <laughs> off back to Paris we have no idea he's just literally there's no mention of him at all it's like he no. never existed it's really weird it is Our t- I mean my anyway two favourite characters were in the last book were Pierre and Margot's voice that's funny so I know gone. I would take it personally if I was here <laughs> <laughs> I <outrage>. do <laughs> Well, Rosa is uh, is uh, is there too, um, and she's optimistic about the trial because you know she thinks once they hear Elizabeth's side of the story and see that she's a you know decent, responsible, upstanding citizen, um, maybe you know they'll they'll understand that there's no way she was like just boozing <laughs> it up. Yeah. Um, but Lila says he's heard that the prosecuting attorney is gonna is a real terror. He'll eat Liz for lunch, <gasps> and again they all discuss the drinking part, but nobody like Rosa's all like. I just don't understand the being drunk part. Like Liz would never um, touch alcohol. No mm. one suggests that her dress was spi- her drink was spiked. Is it just that they're all such sheltered kids that it's like it just didn't occur to them that this is a thing people might do or that could happen to somebody? I don't know because it's very strange that it literally has all this time has passed and nobody's brought it up yet. Like it's really weird. Oh. Uh, it's ridiculous. It would be the first thing that somebody would suggest in real life. Yeah. And yet, even when it's a fucking court case is happening. They're <laughs> meant to be adults present here. And yet, here we are. <laughs> God. Well, uh, they're all talking about this when Lila sees Jessica. So like they quickly like hide mm. the newspaper. And Jessica basically says she knows they were discussing the trial, but sort of feigns insouciance in a very unsettling way. And it does unsettle the others. Oh, they're very freaked out by her behaviour. Because even, yeah, in the last book as well, she was all kind of like this sort of forced cheerfulness. And I think Amy was always just a bit like, what's going on with Jessica? This is weird behaviour. And now they're all kind of seeing it. Because again, she's kind of like, yeah, really kind of pushing this. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh This is totally fine. And it's very much not. And she is coming off like slightly strange about this whole thing. Yeah. And Amy does murmur like, oh, talk about denial. And Lyle, we're told Lila knew Amy liked to bandy around <laughs> the psychology terms. Uh, she's learned to son- a project youth. And he said Sonic Youth. Now that would be an interesting <laughs> development in the early 90s. You still need 45 minutes of training to, to join Sonic Youth. <laughs> I mean, probably less than some. <laughs> Though I did see Sonic Youth live in 1993 and uh, Sweet Valley, they were not. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet Valley wouldn't know what it is. (laughs) Oh, they'd be scared. But but anyway, uh, yeah, Lila has to agree that Amy's on to something. 
And speaking of people who uh, who are you know need psychological help, we cut to Bruce. Because oh, um, he notices he's very aware that everybody's discussing the trial, but of course mm. he brings the whole, you know, horrific car accident right down to round to himself. Yeah, just like that meme, you know, you get in there and make it about you. Um, So he thinks about how that same chaotic night he was falling in love. What a fateful night. So we get a recap of how he was almost like murdered by a guy with a baseball bat in the big row out on the football field. And his fucking angel of mercy uh, descended upon him and it was Pamela. Um, So, you know, and how she disappeared and he tracked her down at Big Mesa. But of course, he's all like, oh, little did I know that Angel of Mercy would turn out to be anything but innocent, again, based on absolutely nothing and just bullshit rumours. But yeah, so it kind of just recaps his whole situation with Pamela and uh, him kind of arriving at her house one morning to find her getting out of some guy's car and just how it's all gone tits up since then, basically. And then who should he see walking towards him? But Pamela herself. There we go. Yeah, she's transferred to Sweet Valley High for a new start. God help her. Um, So she drops her books in shock, but he ignores her and she tries to give him a half smile. But uh, Bruce doesn't encourage, you know, any badinage and strides past her without to get to his homeroom with a look of disgust on his face. And she thinks, has she slept with all the guys in Big Mesa? Did she switch school so she could make some new conquests? Like, fuck off. Bruce. Honestly, he's awful in this book. And I know sometimes he has his endearing moments, but he really just fucking sucks in this one. Oh. Like, also, this is big talk coming from a man who was a fucking sex alcove in his house. So I'd fucking <laughs> exactly. cool it now because if I was you. <laughs> I would lay off the judgment. Like, he does have one moment of self-awareness towards the mm, end. But, uh, takes him long enough, though. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, he knows that Pamela's reputation has preceded her to Sweet Valley High and he wasn't the first to learn of her exploits. So he thinks she'll regret coming here. And then we cut to uh, pa- Pamela's POV. And, you know, things are tough, uh, but she is determined to have a new star. So we're told she didn't want to pretend to anybody that she was a pure and spotless angel. Uh, all she wanted was a chance to change. Now, this is, again, this book is fucking like it is like they have not read any of the previous books and they got a vague sort outline, of ter- yeah. outline third hand <laughs> because the whole point in the last one that Pamela had not actually it was like she kind of was a pure and spotless angel using their moral standards which yes. are not mine no no this is the thing like they are acting like oh she has you know done some stuff in her past and now she deserves a second chance but like as the last book very clearly established she didn't actually do anything and all Mm. these rumors are based on one horrible ex that she wouldn't sleep with so like it's all based on absolutely nothing and like she hasn't done any of the things that are the story circulating about her and again even if she had who fucking cares but again it's sweet valley and they all fucking care oh Um, they do because they're nerds oh. uh, but, <laughs> but yeah so she uh, yeah poor Pam like she's just trying to fucking get on with things but uh, yeah the sweet valians as ever are not making it easy for her they sure aren't because she goes into homeroom and the teacher's late um, and uh, obviously the whole room drops you know just stop speaking and mm. um, it's very obvious that she's caused this silence and then the voices start again but this time they're all whispering to each other and Pamela wants to run away as fast as her high-heeled sandals could take her. I mean, again, I can't stress this enough. This is 1993. Like, if Anna Winter was putting, like, tea dresses and ducks in the, pa- in the pages of Vogue, 
it, it, it was, you know, the idea that some somebody was wearing high heels. I mean, sorry, definitely not on this side of the Atlantic, but tell us American listeners who were like me, teenagers in 1990, <laughs> were people like dressed like some sort of, I don't know, high heeled sandals just seem very grown up summer wear, not school shoes, even no. like glamorous school shoes. And certainly not 1993, they would not have been <laughs> cool. <laughs> well there you go I don't know yeah they're also preppy in Sweet Valley but still like a high heel in school just sounds kind of nuts to be honest yes well uh, she she doesn't but away as far as fast as her high heel sandals could take her <laughs> uh, she just thinks sort of counts thinks basically it could be worse and thinks of course of the poor Wakefield twins Um <laughs> But uh, again, thinks that that fatal night that literally was that fatal night this time, not like the book, <laughs> that fatal night. <laughs> that would have been a better name for it. <laughs> yes. Think so, yes. That fatal night was the night she first set eyes of Bruce Patman. The boy Pavela knew she'd love forever, even if he never said another word to her. Why? Pamela needs a bit of self-respect here now, in fairness. Like... Uh, Actually, cop on, Pamela, seriously. Like, they literally had one date and then when he heard the stories about her, he believed them and completely mm-hmm. turned on her and has been an absolute prick to her ever since. So surely you would think that would be like, oh, one more arsehole yeah. as opposed to like, oh no, my true love. <laughs> okay, yeah, as you say, like, it's only based on the one date and like, yeah, they got on well. But like the fact that he didn't even give her a chance to explain anything, like, it's just no it's not it's not him come on Pamela <laughs> do better for yourself oh if only well we cut to uh lunchtime and Jessica uh wishes that uh, she could be like Liz and stay home because <laughs> like Liz is having a great time at the moment because <laughs> ordinarily she liked being the centre of attention if kids at school ogled and admired her it was just a reflection of the fact she was the most popular girl at Sweet Valley High but now everyone just wants to know what it feels like to have your sister on trial for accidentally killing your boyfriend <laughs> like she loves attention so much but only if it's the right kind of attention and this kind just is not doing it for her at the minute <laughs> it is not um, so Todd she sees Todd who was hanging out with his actual friends in this book <laughs> I guess at mm-hmm. least that's consistent with the yeah. most of the books. Winston, Ken and Bill and Dee are there too. And when Todd pulls back a chair for Jessica, everybody else is like a bit, what is going on? <laughs> Um, but Jessica uh, brushes her Todd's arm in a familiar, possessive manner as uh, she sits down and thinks, take a good look, folks. Elizabeth is out of the picture. This is the way it's going to be from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and everyone is just kind of awkward. Doesn't know what to say. I think Ken was mid-sentence and he's just like, so uh, he kind of looks at Winston, who just shrugs. So everyone's sort of at a loss. Um yeah. And Jess is just like, yeah, look, obviously you're all talking about the trial. It's fine. Uh, you don't have to protect me from the topic. Go ahead. Pump me for information if you want. Um, she laughs is, harshly as she says this. So she's yeah. already sounding slightly unhinged. This is it. She's There's, there's a slight edge of hysteria with Jess kind mm. of in all these conversations. So it's no wonder everyone's a bit fucking freaked out by her. Um, but yeah, Todd is like, oh, no, we weren't talking about that. Uh, and she's like, oh, you're a crummy liar. Don't even try. You know, what if you were talking about it? Why would I mind? Uh, and Dee Dee's just, you know, trying to be gentle and saying, look, we just wouldn't want to keep reminding you of something that must be really painful for you. Um, and she kind of carries on then. She's like, oh, you know, it's fine. I'm totally fine. Justice is being served. Why would that upset me? 
And Bill is kind of like, that's what? He's like, justice. That's not the point. Liz is, uh, and Jess cuts him off. And she's like, my sister, I know. Now there's a painful reminder. So like, nobody knows what the fuck to say to this one as she's just like insanely babbling on about how much she hates Liz now. Who is their friend way more than she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very weird. <laughs> so unsurprisingly, Winston um, is just like, okay, uh, I have to go. And so does Ken. And then... Bill and Dee Dee get up and Jessica's all like, what's your excuse? And they're like, oh, I'm just very busy. And they go. Um, and then she sort of realises, oh, fuck, am I being too weird? So she starts to are you going to follow their example? Um, but uh, Todd uh, sticks around. He does, yeah. At first he's kind of like, nah, I'm still working on my lunch. And then she's like, Jessica turned forlorn eyes on him. So she turns on the fucking droopy dog expression, expression <laughs> and he's like, oh, I mean, uh, I'd rather hang out with you. So like she's satisfied with this. So then she carries on and again just starts banging on about Liz. And she's like, you think they felt sorry for Liz? Like she didn't even do anything. Like she's the victim instead of the criminal. And Todd actually does say, okay, she's not a criminal. Um, he snaps as well. So this does. first time he's sort of got properly mm. defensive of her he's getting a bit fed up like yeah um but jessica then kind of just gives him a load of shit she's like you're not coming to her defense are you you know you have to pick one twin i thought you were on my side now you know you can't have it both ways um you know you chose and you, you know you picked me right all of this so todd is just like oh god why am i doing any of this <laughs> um so he has to just kind of just cave in and be like yeah yeah okay yes I did choose you and it's just kind of left there but like Todd is clearly fucking miserable uh, but Jess is just clinging to him now as like revenge against Liz it's just yes. awful for everybody basically it is and one stage Todd's so obsessed his right hand tightens into a fist oh my God. Cookie that he's holding at it that cookie had it coming <laughs> the fist of fury can't be contained <laughs> uh, so yes uh, we leave Jessica to her fake crying and we cut to Steve and Billy's apartment and they're happy with the setup but they actually get some huge novelty to have mixed gender housemates like which I can assure you it was not <laughs> I, this is so mad that they're like I find it very hard to believe that California was more uh, liberal on, or less liberal on these matters than Dublin that has recently, you know, been basically a theocracy, but it was not a big deal. I had friends who, like male and female friends who were housemates mm. at the time, and it was just normal. It was like, obviously, you're just sharing a house with friends. Mm. Yeah. Whereas uh, Billy is saying things like they've got their flash done up and, uh, you know, arranged their liking. And Billy, with a mischievous smile, says, we're ready for Home and Garden magazine. Their special feature on co-ed cohabitation off campus or the battle of the sexes comes to a bathroom near you. (laughs) (laughs) It's tedious. Like this whole storyline is like, no offense to Billy, she's grand, but we get a very long description of all the things they bought for the house and now they're trying out their new Chinese cooking. Uh, like they bought a wok. They bought a wok so, basically, yeah. And they go on about their new Chinese cooking set and it's like, it's literally a fucking wok. Can we move on? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, of course, Steve already fancies her and but he tells himself, she's my roomie, my buddy. We're living together. Not, quote, living together, living together. <laughs> but living together... <laughs> And was I the only person piping the Alpha Sisters you thought of Vincenzo? <laughs> you, you mean, take him for a ride. <laughs> take him for a ride, right? Yeah. 
We recently met an OTG called uh, Vincenzo, who when he said he wanted to take care of people, there was a lot of questions about whether he wanted to take care of people. (laughs) Or take care of people. Or take care of people. Yeah, I think a listener said it reminded them of our conversation about, did you meet him or did you like meet meet him (laughs) when it came to terms for kissing as a teenager? So yeah, very confusing. (laughs) Well, in this case, Stephen is, is, you know, trying to convince himself that there is no romance in the Mm. air. Um, But he's he's delighted uh, anyway with the setup. And despite this complication, then Ned brings, brings the mood down because he just says he wants advice, but he just bangs on for five minutes about his shitty defence policy. <laughs> his complete lack of a fucking defence strategy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's hilarious that he's like, better run this by my 18-year-old idiot <laughs> son to make sure it's all up to scratch. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's uh, But also, this trial is happening, like, days after things have happened or just like it all seems very very quick uh it's very strange the whole thing is bananas it is i mean uh, the legal system in sweet valley is raising a lot of questions um but uh, stephen asks after everybody in the family and says alice is essentially pretending she's a 50s housewife so she doesn't have time to worry about her children i mean maybe put your children first in this case alice like they're the ones that the bad things have happened to but she's so useless in this book i mean both i'm I'm very disappointed in them Mm. and and the twins of course are still not speaking and Stephen is understandably very upset about the latter and it's like look he wishes that jessica would even just scream at liz anything Mm. but this silent treatment yeah and when he hangs up, he joins Billy for dinner and she's sympathetic, but he's like, you can't know what it's like having your kid sister on trial for manslaughter. <laughs> and uh, specific in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. So yeah, most of us don't. <laughs> Not too late if any of my younger sisters or two younger sisters are listening to this, you know, you can still... <laughs> Still knock out an old killing or two. <laughs> well, Billy is all like, my family, family's had their fair share of problems, so don't think you're alone and no one could possibly understand what you're going through. And Stephen is so touched by this that when she silently smooths the hair back from his forehead, she brushes a tear from his cheek. Oh my goodness, yes, things are escalating between these two. <laughs> they sure are. So there we get... Oh and Eve, I think this might be, I, I, I can't even decide which is the worst Todd scene because Todd and Jessica uh, are together and uh, Todd is shocked when Jessica suggests going to the di- the beach disco, uh, partly because it's like a Monday night and partly because her sister is on trial for manslaughter <laughs> the next day. But she reminds him that, well, you called for me and he's like, why did I call her anyway? <laughs> God, he's just, he's so frustrating in this and he just continues to like go along with this whole charade and Ugh. it's awful. He hates it. Jessica's miserable. Like it's all just terrible. And I well, hate it's all it so driven much. by Jessica and her yeah. It is, but also the fact that he doesn't have a fucking spine or apparently <gasps> a fucking tongue in his head that he can actually <sighs> be like, um, no, actually, this is a bad idea. I still love Liz. I'm going to go talk to her. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> None of those I things just, happen. <laughs> I, somehow, I guess you're wondering how I ended up here. So why? This is basically <sighs> even every scene. Uh, literally, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, t- she, um, he drives along and she starts snuggling up to him and he's like, oh, I guess this is okay. We're just giving each other company. What's wrong with that? But then they hit the dance floor at the beach disco and uh, Jessica sets a pace that keeps him breathless. 
Yeah, so I guess she's doing her usual high kicking around the place, knocking drinks out of people's hands and uh, spinning all over the gaff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they're uh, they're dancing up a storm and he's like, you know, this isn't weird. I've danced with Jessica before. You know, she was his girlfriend's sister after all, except she's not my girlfriend's sister anymore because Liz isn't my girlfriend, Todd corrected himself. So that makes her da da da. <laughs> Next thing, uh, the song changes uh, and the tempo slows all the way down to uh, to a new song. So yeah, the beat is pulsing and slow, so it's time for a slow dance. Uh, so of course, Jess is bet onto him and uh, her body is swaying seductively. Um, yeah, so it's very clear uh, that this is not a platonic friends hanging out and dancing oh, yeah. type of evening. Um yeah, so he's um, he starts to wonder, like, what the fuck are we doing here tonight of all nights? Like, we might as well be dancing on Sam's grave. Uh, and then Jessica's like, kiss me. Obediently, Todd bent his head. Like, Todd, I swear to God, I'm just ready to drop kick this fucker into Second Lake and be done with it. Because I'm just, I've had it already. <laughs> Obediently. And then he tended the kiss to be brief. But somehow, somehow, he's <laughs> doing a lot of work there, Todd. Somehow, he found his mouth lingering on Jessica's. The slow passion of the music seemed to hold them together, melting their bodies into one. The yeah. kiss grew deeper and longer. Finally, Todd abandoned himself to it. My notes just say, for the love of God. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> Just, can't take any more of this. No, and, and it's so early in the book and there's so much more of this bullshit with Todd and Jessica to go through and it's all terrible and it's so annoying. <laughs> it's it's Todd's sappiness and spinelessness where he's yeah. just like, oh God, so here we go again. Yeah. Uh, oh, how have I gotten myself into this? It's like, because you can't seem to say no to anything. Like, you're just the worst. Uh, and poor old Elizabeth is back in the Castletown Wakefield trying and failing to write in her diary because her love of writing seems to wither and die in the face of all her sorrows. Um, so she goes downstairs in search of her mom. She just thinks, I need my mother. Mm. And good luck, Liz. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alice isn't here right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, she... Alice doesn't live here anymore. Literally. literally. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Genuinely. But also, this scene is so fucking spooky. So it's like, she walks into, uh, she goes downstairs, she sees her dad in the, at the kitchen table, hunched over a law book, just doing some fucking last minute revision. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she goes into like their living room or the den or whatever. So it's like, the sound of the TV drew her there. A black and white movie flickered on the screen, but Mrs. Wakefield wasn't watching it. Instead, she stood by the bookshelves, taking volumes down one by one to dust them. And like when Liz walks in, she's like, honey, what are you doing up so late? And Liz is like, she just wants her mom to do something, to say something comforting, to give her a hug, like anything. And like Alice just stands there, doesn't say anything. Liz starts crying and says, I'm scared. Like, I need my mother right now. She's like, mom, I'm scared. And Alice just like continues dusting her books. Looks past Liz and pats her on the shoulder and says, you'll do fine. As if she was talking about a test or something. Get a good night's sleep. We'll have a big breakfast in the morning. And like, that's it. That's all the comforting Alice is giving her daughter, who is about to go on trial for manslaughter the following day. Like, it's bizarre from Alice. It's so fucking weird. It really is. It's it's. I think probably the most inexcusable inex- in, uh, thing hmm. both parents do is that the oh, night before your like, daughter's trial, it's just like, don't worry, love, you'll be grand. Yeah, she's she has just checked out completely. Like, it's 
crazy and she's so spooky. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. You'll be fine. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next day, Stephen wakes up in the casa. Like, wh- wasn't he having uh, ch- stir fries with Billy last night? Yeah, I guess he drove down from his college that apparently isn't actually SVU, but then it is in the SVU books. I don't know. Mystery college. Uh, he teleported home. That's all that matters. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's there. Uh, and he comes down and finds Alice also stir frying veg for a like a stir-fried tortilla, uh, veg tortilla. And she's freaked out by her Stafford wife vibe because um, he's talking about, like, you got to choose the right, your dad has to choose the right tie. And he tells her, himself, look, this must be some sort of radical defense mechanism. She's she's blacking out what's really happening. Mm. But he is genuinely worried about her, as well he might be. Mm. So we cut to the courthouse and a traumatised Liz just keeps thinking of Sam and you know that's the reason that they're there and she's just you know she's destroyed by this hmm. and that all the, but all the family are uh, apart from Jessica obviously are by her side as she braves the media because she's being bombarded with questions that rail down like hailstones yeah like again would like would a minor be subject to all this stuff like it just none of it seems likely <laughs> Well, or in any way appropriate. But um, the court is full of onlookers. And actually here, um, definitely for mine, I'm pretty sure for minors, they're tried in the children's court and Mm. there can't be, members of the public aren't allowed in. No, like you can't just wander in for a gander. Like, I mean, (laughs) it seems very strange that they'd be letting people in for a look at see what's going on. Like, it's very strange. Well, Judge Baird, a silver-haired woman in her 60s, uh, hits the gavel and the court begins. And the first witness is a man who drove up just after the accident. He just saw the aftermath. He didn't see mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah. Then Liz takes the stand and she takes strength from the sight of her parents and Stephen and Enid. And then she sees Todd. <gasps> yes. And she thinks, my God, he's after coming. He's forgiven me. Uh, but uh, just as quickly, she's plunged back into an abyss of despair <gasps> because apparently Todd's face was frozen, unreadable. He probably just wanted to see for himself, Elizabeth thought. This way, there won't be any doubt left in his mind that I'm guilty and he's much better off without me. Like, it's it's a weird uh, <laughs> position to take there, Liz, or a weird <laughs> conclusion to jump to. Like, surely you'd see Todd and be like, okay, he's here to support me. Cool. Yeah. Not, he's here to see that I'm guilty and he can read it on my face. <laughs> like, I know you're going through a lot right now, but that makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people's judgments of others in this book make no sense. So mm. uh, this is just one of them. Well, we cut to Todd's POV as the prosecutor begins um, asking Liz questions and we're told, leave her alone, Todd wants to shout. Stop badgering her. Who's this bum, Dilworth? Because that's four riches he, that's the name of the prosecutor, think he is, talking to Elizabeth like this. Can't he see how much she's hurting? But he knows he has to restrain himself. Oh, very good of you, Todd. And uh, (laughs) he just clenches his fists. So as much as he can do, he can't start throwing digs, unfortunately, in court. So he has to behave himself. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's so angry on Liz's behalf all the way through this as uh, the defence attorney is, is going through the motions. But also, yeah, this guy's name is Hempstead Dilworth, which is like the most unsweet family name <laughs> I think we've ever come across. <laughs> oh, I'd like a book about Hempstead Dilworth. And his, his, the one man in Sweet Valley who isn't enthralled to the Wakefield. <laughs> there you go. Literally the only person who treats them like regular people. And so everyone hates him for it. <laughs> That's how fucking Mr. Rose got fired in the last book. <laughs> <laughs> 
do work upstairs to do with. <laughs> Keeps asking Liz about drinking and he's like, so when did you get the booze? Why did you get the booze? How much booze did you drink? Mm. But Liz doesn't get bamboozled by his questions. Uh, she's just like, look, I don't drink. I did. I have no memory of this. This doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Uh, and Dilworth even at one stage is like, so when you left, were you driving off to get more alcohol? <laughs> 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 it's a sort of drunken frenzy. And Edith is upset and Todd is, you know, really distressed by this. And Todd squeezes her hand in support. Now, I do not understand how Enid doesn't bring up, like, what the fuck is going on with you and Jessica? Because they're not hiding it. I know, it's really strange. Uh, And I feel like, yeah, Enid would surely, even though I know Liz has kind of shut everybody out, she surely knows that, like, obviously Liz and Todd aren't together anymore, but, like, why aren't they? Or, like, how come she's not saying to Todd, like, why aren't you talking to Elizabeth? Why aren't you there for your girlfriend in any kind of meaningful way for the last two weeks or however much time has passed? Like, because Todd has been ridiculous. And as you say, he's out fucking bopping with Jessica and sitting with her at lunch. And it's weird. And, yeah, it's it's weird that Enid hasn't brought it up and been like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, Exactly. And actually, Enid and Liz... Did they were in an okay place when we last left them? Because mm. remember, Enid was trying to make her up, you know, help, yeah. like say, like don't despair. And mm. Liz was like, no, it could, can only get worse. Um, so uh, yeah, apparently now they're sitting side by side, and Enid doesn't bring up any of these issues. But <laughs> Todd finally feels fucking guilty about the awful way he's behaved to her. Because thinks, if I did anything to help her or if I just added to her misery? Luckily, we're told, he didn't have to think about it very hard. The answer was all too clear. It certainly is. And then he has an extremely inaccurate flashback because we get one detail Oof. that did not happen. <laughs> didn't like and it very specifically did not happen mm. so yeah he starts you know recalling the moment that he was prom king and he was looking at the crowd and then he sees Liz and Sam on the dance floor hugging and kissing like what no they were dancing yes and then he saw Liz hugging Sam and that was literally the extent of yeah. anything that happened between yeah. the two of them like yeah they were both kind of messy and drunk but like they were still just hugging there was no kissing and that was very clear in a night to remember which you know, obviously this ghostwriter didn't read that book or the arrest. So, <laughs> well, every other reference to that night and Liz's memories and other people's memories, like there's, you know, this is the first the kissing has been mentioned. So, yeah. um, it's 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 not even just the the prom, yeah. it's, you know, the prom book itself. It's kind of gas that for such like an intentional like six part mini series, there's just been no effort to keep things consistent, <laughs> like at all or that you'd have the one writer taking care of these six books like it's yeah. just it's like what like yeah you write a paragraph I'll write a paragraph we'll pass it on to someone else like lads get your act together please <laughs> at least one of the editors go through and you know how to see things like read the last one before you read this one and just a courtesy glance is all yeah. like we read it two weeks ago and we can remember these things <laughs> no. Well, Todd, uh, even though acknowledges that it was wildly uncharacteristic behaviour for Elizabeth, uh, yes, true, and realises he never let let her explain after the accident. And then he thinks, yeah, maybe a guy should be there for his girlfriend instead of turning around and dating her twin sister. (laughs) You fucking think? Oh shit, Todd, wow, what a genius. (laughs) And his broad shoulders slump as he thought about Jessica and remembered the other night at the beach. What on earth was I doing? (laughs) What indeed, Todd? What? Indeed. Honest to God, he's just so dopey. I can't <laughs> hack it at all. Like. 
<laughs> well, speaking of dopes, Ned takes the stand. His argument <laughs> is painfully thin because he's a terrible lawyer and literally, as we said before, has no defence strategy other than, remember Liz, remember. Like, that, <sighs> like isn't the job of a defence, like the whole point is, okay, you have to figure out an actual defence for what they're accused of. Defense not just like, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, something <laughs> please at least Stephen was trying to get somewhere with it in the last book that he was like okay you remember headlights there was another car involved like and that seemed to be kind of going somewhere that like Stephen was going on a bit of an investigative path and kind of going to hunt somebody down or something but like Ned has literally got nothing like there is it is wild how bad of a lawyer he is uh, because it's like yeah you know they do say that Ned is trying to uh, he's doing his best to present his daughter's situation also like a father should not be defending his daughter that is such no. a wild conflict of interest um it's equally clear his argument on her behalf was painfully thin and it's like he doesn't fucking have an argument on her behalf that's why like it's yes crazy stuff honestly i just everyone should be disparaged and fired and this whole thing should be declared a mistrial and just start again. <laughs> please for the love of god well uh yeah liz is no defense basically the court finally <laughs> adjourns and ina is supportive and she tells todd she's gonna wait for for liz and uh there's a hint of a question in her voice and todd hesitates split by conflicting impulses he realizes how incredibly selfish she'd been punishing elizabeth in this way he wanted so much to go to her to comfort her to hold her but what right do i have after turning my back on her what would i say uh can't approach her in front of all these people so he just goes oh, i'm gonna go back to school <laughs> so see ya <laughs> He's such a fucking idiot. Why does Enid let him get away with this? Like Enid just be like, Todd, Todd, stay. Stay. Good Todd. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you talk to him, because he does things obediently. So if you just hit the right tone, maybe that's that's what (laughs) he's actually just a giant Labrador. (laughs) I mean Prince Albert would be uh more logical and sensible than any of these people. So (laughs) defender. <laughs> He'd be much better in court than that. DA Prince Alvish. His closing arguments would be incredible. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we cut to Guido's where Jessica is annoyed by Todd being in a bad mood and so like, ugh, suppose we should just leave. And Todd's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wasn't the best company. Why don't I just take you home? And then Jessica says no quickly and senses that if she let leave, Todd leave her now, she might lose her fragile hold over him. So she starts giving her the, him the puppy dog eyes. <laughs> that's it because she's like no I can't go home yet it's too depressing let's go for a drive um, so yeah they get in the car and then she starts thinking about Sam again um, but like they they drive to some car park some deserted beachfront parking lot uh, and they both just sit there in the car with the engine off and like it's awkward Todd doesn't want to be there Jessica yeah. realises he doesn't want to yeah. be there he's not even trying to pretend anymore uh, so she kind of like t- you know tries to to <laughs> regain some of this kind of fucking spell she has him under um, and just asks him what's wrong and he's just like oh I'm just so confused um, <laughs> like oh Jesus uh, so he's like look I feel confused about all of this about Liz about you you know being out with you like this feels wrong especially after the first day of her trial uh, and he's just like talk about how bad he feels for Liz and of course Jess just flies into a bit of a rage and is like you know no one else is guilty she did this to herself and you know ugh, it's 
just terrible. I think the worst is she. there's a moment where she detects the note of uncertainty and vulnerability in his voice and we're told she hastened to exploit it. And she keeps her voice gentle and caressing and is all like, confused? Why? What about trust in me? Oh, like, it's fully, like, she's the one who should have the snake analogies because she's fully, like, yeah, oh, can't hypnotizing it. It's just like she genuinely does have him like under some kind of spell. It's crazy stuff. She's also she's lost her damn mind because she starts thinking why does he cling so stubbornly to his attachment to Elizabeth? Couldn't he see that Jessica was the one he was meant to be with? Hadn't they secretly been drawn to each other from the beginning? We would have been going steady ages ago if Liz hadn't stolen him away from me. It's I don't know what any of that is about like that is high key derangement uh, from Jessica uh, like normally she can't fucking stand Todd. Like all this, like from the beginning, she <laughs> accused him of assaulting her. So mm-hmm. no. <laughs> but now like, she said, "Oh, she's no, she's just fully like in, in flights of fancy. Like it, none of it makes any sense. Absolutely not." And it ends by her saying, "It's just you and me now, Todd. She did this. Elizabeth did this. Uh, no matter what she says, then she kisses him." And he's like, Liz should never forgive me for any of this. And she's like, see, it's just you and me. And she wraps her arms around his waist. Like, yeah. She- <laughs> this is not healthy behaviour. Oh, God, no. Is there any example of that? Like, Margot is showing the most healthy behaviour so far. So that is cause for concern. True. Well, we cut to the Dairy Burger where Stephen and Billy are there. See, where is SVU? Anyway, um, they chow down on grilled chicken and shakes. And she's come, oh, she's come down there to distract him. Yeah. Sorry, that's why they're there. And at one stage, he, she takes a, he takes her hand to thank her and they have a little moment. But uh, but the, the spark is there and uh, the only hint that anything unusual had passed between them was the pink glow still visible on Billy's cheeks. <laughs> But when they bump, they leave, they bump into an ashen Liz. Yeah, Liz uh, is on her own, but walking into the dairy burger. So he sees that she's holding herself together with supreme effort. Uh, so yeah, he asks what she's doing there. And she's like, oh, you know, I can go out at night if I want to. And, you know, I've got to start living my life again sometime. Uh, so she's obviously just kind of made herself go in here. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, I guess, yeah, just to, to show her face kind of. Um, but yeah, Billy's really nice to her. She's just like, yeah, she should come, come up to campus and hang out with us sometime. You know, it'll be a change of scenery. We'll play tennis, uh, cook dinner, short sheet Stephen's bed. So, you know, yeah. play pranks on Stephen. So she's, and Liz does actually smile at that. Yeah. And says, yeah, you know, maybe I will. Um, so Billy invites Liz along to to go to a movie with them. But uh, but she says, no, no, I've, I've got to do this by myself. So she says, I think I should get used to being on my own. So long, guys. Uh, so she walks into the Dairy Burger on her own. And Stephen is just kind of, he's got, himself is kind of barely holding it together because he wants to just like run after her and shield her from the gossip and the curious glances that she's already getting. Um, so Billy kind of reassures him that like, you know, she's strong and you have to be strong too for her sake. Uh, so yeah, Stephen is kind of feeling a bit fragile himself at the minute. Um but uh, feels like he needs to tell somebody about what he's dealing with and how strained things are at home because, you know, 
Alice has gone off the fucking mm-hmm. deep end and he hasn't really told anybody about it or had a chance to talk to anybody about it. So he kind of um, kind of says to Billy, look, there's this something I, I I have to talk about and, and I swore I wouldn't tell anybody. So you'd have to promise to keep it a secret. So she says, you know, I won't trust a soul. You can, you can trust me. <gasps> uh, so, yeah. So he's, he's going to confide in Billy all about the, the weird situation at mm-hmm. home. We cut to Pamela, who's also at the Dairy Burger, alone in a booth, ignored by all the local arseholes. <laughs> and uh, she spots Liz coming in and we're told that even a big Mesa, Ooh. everyone knew that Elizabeth Makefield is one of the nicest girls oh. in Sweet Valley High. Oh my God. Uh, you know what? It's also a nice callback to the theme of the last 97 books <laughs> that everybody's obsessed with Liz. Even people in a whole other school that, you know, quite canonically fucking hates Sweet Valley High as a rivalry with them. And yet they all love Liz. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, that the ghostwriter did read at least one book. So Maybe. <laughs> Well, um, she thinks that, you know, Liz is the sort of person she'd like to be friends with. And maybe it's not a crazy idea. Like she looks like she needs someone to talk to and no one's Mm -hmm. making a move to go to her. But just as she's about about to invite her over, Liz rushes away and um, sad Pamela reads the oracle and she's looking at all the like clubs and societies and wonders which to join. But then she blushes as Bruce enters with his goons, Ronnie and uh, Paul Sherwood. And he ignores her in the goon sticker and poor mm. Pamela just feels humiliated. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, yeah, so there, like, and it's funny actually, there is a, a bit of kind of skipping around to different uh, points of view in this book, but it doesn't feel as frantic as the last two. So that's a relief as well, to be honest. That's true. Yeah. It, just got, it did get fully ridiculous in the arrest, the amount of jumping around we were doing. Yes. Like it was just frantic and it was stressful, to be honest. It was <laughs> dazzling. Yeah, I was dizzy by the end of it. <laughs> well, uh, we cut back to the casa where Liz faces another sleepless night, but she's proud of herself for braving the dairy burger. And um, Elizabeth, uh, or sorry, Enid has dropped over her homework, but Liz can't concentrate because she thinks how she might never again set foot in the halls of Sweet Valley High, might never see graduation day, never go to college, never realise any of her dreams. Um, I mean... It, I guess in America they don't have anonymous college applications, but like if she even if she did go to juvenile hall for six months, she'd still go back to Sweet Valley High and do you know she'd have another year and a half left. She's only a junior, like yeah. <laughs> she's only like halfway through fucking high school. So like yeah, you're not done here yet, love. <laughs> well, this is cold comfort to her, and she um she imagines her future life in a barren cell, and she looks at happy photos of her and Todd and the gang, and then she takes out a photo album Jessica gave to her. Um, um, that was clearly uh, given to her as part of some scheme to butter her up because it says, <laughs> see Liz, with a dynamic duo. Since we were only born four minutes apart, we should never let anything come between us. Let's make up. Love, Jess. <laughs> yeah, so it's like obviously an apology album from some other time that Jessica fucking screwed her over. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. So yeah, it's filled with meaningful photos of the twins mm. through the years. And then she finds some treasures, including a turquoise and silver bracelet Todd bought for her. Some other, you know, sentimental things but then she sees one object that has been shoved on top of the dresser since that fatal night yeah it's like a crumpled uh, corsage the one that was pinned to her prom dress when they pulled her and Sam from the wreckage of the jeep <gasps> uh, so it, it obviously triggers like a whole 
upset episode for her. She starts, you know, bursting out crying and goes, oh God, what have I done? And she's uh, really taking it hard and just like falls onto her bed sobbing um, because obviously, yeah, that's that's kind of a tough one uh, to come across. But mm. um, but yeah, there was just a weird bit though when she was going through the other bits and pieces that she found. Now, I don't know if, if you were reading it on Kindle or... I was. Yeah, did this... Did, uh, yeah, this sentence was bizarre uh, because they kind of list some of the things that like her treasured possessions mm-hmm. and it reads in this in the printed copy at least a turquoise and silver bracelet Todd had brought back for her from his last article she'd written for the Oracle and I thought I was having a breakdown when I read that so I had to go back and read it twice more and I was like nope that's how it's been printed that's how much that's how much effort that ghostwriter was putting in I have taken against this ghostwriter and <laughs> What is that? I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> they just, well, it clearly wasn't a Kindle, um, you know, mistake, because sometimes there are the odd yeah, mistake yes. with transferring. But no, clearly the original was just as ill <laughs> Just fucking thrown together, lads. Did anyone proofread this? Oh, well, I think that's our answer to I guess not. <laughs> Somebody just filed it and they were just like, just lay it out the page, lads. Like, you can send to print. I'm going. Bye. <laughs> it's a Friday. It's a long weekend. The bank holiday on Monday. Come on. Oh, God. Well, we cut to another dirty, deadbeat prairie town. Her words, not mine, listeners. <laughs> we wiped off the map and nobody would miss it. And who's there? It's fucking Margot! Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> Puts the laughter in manslaughter, and I love oh. <laughs> She sure does. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, she's she's checking out the 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 magazine and paper magazine and paper rack in a. Mm. Um, I guess it's gas station and she's pleased to see she's not in the papers so her crime spree has isn't you know, like <laughs> no one I guess reported her for killing that old lady and she gives the pimply sales clerk a sob story and he takes pity on her and uh, gives her a copy of Sweet 16 magazine and then gives her like filled paper bag with candy and snacks now I guess no sandwiches so she takes them but- <laughs> he's lucky he didn't throw in a sandwich <laughs> It would be back in that pimply face, God love it. <laughs> but I, this is, I very much thought this was a Chekhov Sweet 16 because I thought this was going to be the issue that the twins were in. And I guess it must be because otherwise, why would they mention oh. it? But she never sees the shoot or that's doesn't mention true. it. Yeah. Oh, that's really true, actually. Yeah. Because for a second, I was like, shouldn't that just be ingenue? But like, yeah, Sweet 16 was the magazine with the thing. And yeah, there's no callback to that photo shoot at all in this no. book, anyway. <laughs> it was, I guess it was just put in there as a random a jungle mm-hmm. prom drama event. Um, but anyway, delighted, Margot returns to the bus and she uh, she wants to laugh out loud at her triumph. <laughs> but yeah, she wants, she wants to tell all the other passengers uh, about her amazing skills at wangling free chocolate and magazines out of teenagers in the shop but uh, but yes no she's uh, she's delighted with herself but managing to keep her cool about it all because no one's following her she's gotten away with everything the theft the murders she was invincible uh, and thinks that uh, she's getting closer and closer to Sweet Valley and thinks to herself then the real fun begins <gasps> it sure will <laughs> well we cut to wherever the fuck SVU 
whiz. Um, and Todd arrives, or or visits Sweet Valley College, or I mean, who knows? <laughs> Mystery College. <laughs> Todd arrives at Stephen's apartment as uh, Billy leaves, and Stephen inexplicably says, "Like, hey, good to see you." Like. You should be saying, where the fuck have you been? (laughs) Yeah, why have you abandoned Liz in her hour of need? What's wrong with you? (laughs) So yeah, he he says, look, I know things are great between you. And Todd reveals all. He's like, oh, we haven't broken up or anything, but we've just been going our separate ways. And he said, then he says, uh, he is a bit worried about how Stephen will react. Rightly fucking so. He says, it's not just about Elizabeth. If it were, maybe I wouldn't have this problem. It's also about Jessica. And Stephen's like, uh, I'm sorry, what? And Ted's like, yeah, Jessica. I was like, oh, she needed a pal. Uh, but last night it finally hit me. Maybe because it was the first day of the trial. Oh, maybe, Todd. Uh, who knows? I'm glad you're having a little ponder about this. Ned, hit him. What a mess I've gotten myself into. I've been dating Jessica, but I'm still in love with Elizabeth. And fair folks to Stephen. He is just like, what are you telling me? Yeah, like, on, and as you say, yeah, like Fairfox, because like, this is the only normal way to react to this absolute fucking tomfoolery. Because uh, Stephen stares at Todd, his eyes narrow and unsmiling. And it's like, OK, good. <laughs> and he says, help me out here, pal. You're telling me that after totally blowing off Liz after the car crash, you're still in love with her, but you've been dating Jessica. Do I have that right? And like, they kind of say Stephen's accusatory tone put Todd on the defensive. And it's like, oh, well, someone should. Because what the fuck has he been? been doing. <laughs> they should make you hang your head in shame, Todd. Not being all like, he literally says, she started us. She oh picked me God. off at the prom. He's so pathetic. Like, but surely even just saying these words out loud should make him realise, oh yeah, I've been an absolute fucking fool and I need to get my act together uh-huh. and talk to Liz. Uh, so yeah, like Stephen just isn't having it at all. He's just like, look, instead of trying to work things through with Liz, you decided to get back at her by going out with Jessica. Uh and uh, he kind of realises, you know, that's where Jessica's been, obviously, because anytime he's been down home, Jessica's been off out somewhere and he never really knew where. So yeah. he kind of puts it together that she's obviously been out with Todd. Um, and yeah, again, Todd is like just a little fucking wuss. He's like, oh, I'm not out for revenge. Jessica called me. She made the first move. And Stephen's like, yeah, because she's lonely and scared. You said it yourself. She needed a friend. That's probably all she needed. But of course, well, Jessica is like scheming her way all the way around him. Uh, oh, so yeah. There is no. that too. But still, Stephen's it's like, giving, her, giving her too much benefit of the doubt. But I mean, he's not wrong that Todd has should have just on principle on many reasons hmm. said no to this. Said no to this. <laughs> yeah. And Todd could fully have said no to this. He's just too fucking weak and ridiculous to actually say anything that he's actually thinking um yeah so again Todd is just like just pathetic he's like you know do you think I feel good about any of this that's why I came here to get some advice uh you know I'm concerned about Liz and Jess but if you don't want to have anything to do with me I understand oh god passive-aggressive <laughs> bollocks see if you tell him to fuck off you should <laughs> but instead he apologizes to Todd oh, don't ridiculous um, but he does say because Todd is like do you think she'll ever take me back and he was like I really don't know you say you love her but is there any reason to believe uh, she, any reason she should believe you and we're told Stephen's words crush like a knife right through Todd's soul good good you, they should this is the thing because it's so ridiculous for him to be like do you think she'd ever take me back and it's like like have you tried to get her back have you done anything in that oh direction no you have not so like what if you really want her back why are you doing the exact opposite <laughs> 
well, from uh, from the uh, ridiculous to the, I guess, kind of human, decent human behaviour, surprisingly enough. Ooh, shock we, twist here, lads, honestly. <laughs> really? We cut to halftime at a Gladiators soccer day, game and there's a small turnout at half, um, at, uh, you know, at, at the match but mm. Amy points out she the cheerleaders join Lila and a few others and Amy points out that Pamela from Big Mesa is there uh, and Barry corrects her and says you mean Pamela Robertson from Sweet Valley High she's one of us now and Jessica sniffs one of us hardly I'm sorry is the person who is dating their um twin sister's estranged <laughs> boyfriend judging her and it was also <laughs> like Dry humped her way through every boy in the junior class on some of the seniors. <laughs> oh, like again, this is just classic Jessica, where it's like anybody else acting the way that she has is a hussy and not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. But because Jessica's blonde in a wig field, it's absolutely fine for her to carry on the way she does. <gasps> yes, this so. is another dark haired girl. Well, there you go. If you've got dark hair, you just might as well forget it. You're evil. Mm. Um so yeah, I guess we're out of luck. <laughs> oh yeah, well, good, good. Thank <laughs> but Jessica, in fairness, she bitches about Pamela, but no one else joins in. And Amy mm. genuinely feels guilty for spilling the beans to Bruce about uh, Pamela's bad reputation. It, like it's it's such a surprise turn from Amy, mm. and then Lila even joins uh, the Pamela defense squad uh, because she says, "Look, you know, we've never actually talked to her. Maybe she's really a nice person." Uh, and Jessica kind of gives Lila some shit for this, and she's like, oh, "I think I'm hallucinating. Since when did you join the Girl Scouts?" Uh, and they all kind of laugh or whatever. But like Lila and Amy are genuinely thinking, "God, you know, we should give Pamela a chance. Like, none of us have talked to her. She actually could be lovely. Like, we're all just yeah. judging her." based on rumours, which, you know, isn't really good enough. And Lila does think to herself, maybe I'm getting soft. (laughs) She thinks in the past, ridiculing Pamela Robertson would have struck her as a delightful pastime. (laughs) And it would. Like, it's exactly the kind of thing that they would have and have gotten up to, to like quite frightening lengths in previous books. Uh, But yeah, it's, you know, it's nice to see them being some Mm. ways decent and human, as you say. It's very unlike any kids in school. Well, I guess in in fairness to, you know, I mean, I can't believe I'm defending this ghostwriter's <laughs> character consistency or any sort of consistency. But Lila was recently, you know, multiple times has been the subject of rumours and gossip. So I think mm. that that it would make sense that she's it's changed probably, a bit. Just, yeah, given her some perspective on these kinds of situations mm. where like, yeah, you, you know, you could, you could probably actually listen to the person and talk mm-hmm. to them and get to know them yourself and make your own judgment, that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Enid joins them and uh, gives Jessica Liz's homework. I mean, again, like Enid knows 100% that Jessica Mm. isn't talking to Liz. But anyway, Jessica grudgingly takes it. And she tells the gang that her whole family have lost it. Um, You know, her like basically both her dad and Stephen are just obsessed with the trial. And if her her mother loses another marble every day, one more and she won't have any left, basically her family are not exactly the cleavers. And everyone is really uncomfortable and shocked. And Winston, um, when the cheerleaders go back to to cheerleading duty, I guess half time's over. Mm. Uh, Winston says, I knew Jess was bitter towards Liz, but I've never heard her talk um, that way about her parents. And, Lila is stunned and thinks if she can't count on the stability of the Wakefields, what can she count on? <laughs> God. But also that's fully in keeping with how everybody thinks in this town. Like they are the like family to look up to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, we cut to Pac-Man Towers or whatever the hell it's called. But Roger <laughs> tries to to bond with Bruce, who is working around his computer. And uh, he tries to talk about Pamela. And he feels really bad about, you know, when he told uh, Bruce, you know, maybe you don't know her that well. Like, he didn't mean to actually sort of, Mm. like implied there was something wrong with Pamela it was that like he didn't want to see Bruce get hurt because he knows that Bruce doesn't fall easily and when mm. he does see it's like he falls off a cliff that's uh, yeah and that Bruce had been actually kind of secretly quite vulnerable because mm. of Regina and wasn't yeah. really over uh, her death yet so yeah so it was actually out of genuine concern but just it has now kind of added to the fuel against Pamela unfortunately so he kind of he just tried to explain that and say look I wasn't trying to wreck your relationship or slam Pamela or anything I was just trying to you know suggest that you should take things a little slower because they were kind of both very quickly like oh we're in love we're in love you love yeah. me and I love you and this is all wonderful <laughs> so you know it was it was sensible enough from Roger it was just unfortunate that it, it came off like uh, him insinuating stuff mm-hmm. about Pamela. And uh, he he, it, it, there's a moment where it seems like it's getting through to Bruce, but then Bruce's eyes blaze with fury and says, "Who do you think you are, Adlanders?" He yelled. It's like I don't need your advice. Live your own life and let me live mine. And then his attitude shifts br- abruptly to one of mock insouciance, and he says, "Besides, I got what I wanted out of Pamela. The same thing every other guy's gotten from her. Oh, you didn't. Anyway, I can live with that." And he strides away. And uh, leaving Roger, who um, does check Bruce's screen to make sure he hasn't been, he just hopes he's been (laughs) typing Pamela's name repeatedly, which would be worrying. That would be very worrying. I don't know why that's what he's hoping for, because it's like, that's the kind of thing you do before you snap and go on a murderous rampage, (laughs) if The Shining has taught us anything. (laughs) (laughs) And it has. Uh, But uh, yeah, apparently... This is how it always goes. Uh, he tries to break through Bruce's you know, defensive shell and Bruce's pride makes a bottle of feelings till he explodes. So he feels really guilty about Pamela and decides he's going to befriend her. Mm. Well, we cut to Todd's gaff. Still feeling bad about his chat with Stephen. Admits he's been a jerk and uh, wonders uh, if he could apologise to Liz but thinks, face it, Wilkins, your persona non grata at the Wakefields these days, and then catches himself with an ironic laugh. What am I saying? I've got Jessica. And then there's this typically contrived and torturous rationale for what he does next, and it's just so fucking stupid. I just wanted to throw my Kindle across the room. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just not a single lesson learned in all the books <sighs> that Todd has ever dealt with <sighs> Jessica. Uh, yeah, so he uh, has a stroke of inspiration that he should have thrown in the bin uh-huh. because he decides that if he tries to call Liz, she might just hang up on him. So instead, he's going to write her a letter. So he's uh, flooded with ideas for this. Can't wait to put all his feelings on paper. Tell Liz he's been wrong. Their estrangement was all his fault, that he loves her. Her forgiveness was the only thing that could restore his happiness. Uh, uh, but realises she's going to need time to think things over. So says, I'll ask her to give me a sign. Uh, he'll go to court every day of her trial and watch and wait patiently. And when Elizabeth wore the silver and turquoise bracelet he'd given her, when she met his eyes and touched the bracelet, he'd know it was okay to go to her. So you're going to put this all on Liz, who is in the middle of being on fucking trial for manslaughter, <laughs> to dick around with a bracelet and send you secret signals as she's in the fucking dock, probably, like being hassled. <laughs> by the DA and cross-examined and like having the worst time of her life but you think she might think to fucking send you mystery signals that it's okay to go to her like it's just 
infuriating. <laughs> oh my God. It's actually, I, it's everything about this is so pointless. It could entirely be solved by him, you know, uh, picking up the phone. Yeah. And even if it's, she's going to hang up on him, go to the house. And he's like, oh, but Jessica will be there. So like, just say, sorry, Jessica, I'm not here to see you. Go and talk to Liz is all yes. he's had to do for the last four books. And oh he just God. will not. So yeah, writing a letter and hand delivering it to the house is the yes. solution. Because you know how well it goes when things are just left on a doorstep yes. or put through a letterbox or not put directly into the hand of the person that it's meant for. <laughs> that is the only way to get anything anywhere in this town. Oh my God. Like You have lived there long enough. You've lived there long enough, Todd. And you've also, you know what Jessica does That's when stuff turns up in the house that she is not happy with. And also, you know that she can read, she knows your writing. <sighs> God, I'm it's writing. so annoying. It's so annoying. Like uh, the whole way through, like these like four pages of Todd writing a letter. I was just like, well, Jessica's clearly going to intercept this anyway, because uh, Todd's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, to cheer you up, we head to Fowler Crest. Lila's in an optimistic mood as her family bond. And uh, we're told what a relief it was not to be mad at her mother again. I'm glad I've gotten that out of my system, thought Lila. What counts is that mom made to, came to be with, the, with me when I needed her. The only implication here is that the thing she had to get over was Grace staying away for six, you know, 14 years. There was no indication that in the last book when she came, she was not really putting the work in. That's the thing, because yeah, when I read what a relief it was not to be mad at her mother anymore, I was like, oh, okay, well, at least we're alluding to the fact that they had a bit of a row in the last book, but nope, (laughs) we've just pretended that didn't happen. Yeah, it literally goes on to say like, oh, so what if she was away for like all my life? So, you know, the fact that they did have those serious rows where she literally said, you don't care about me and boot, ran away crying. Mm. Forgotten. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And if that wasn't bad enough, Grace and George Bond. Over clubs. Of course they fucking do. Uh, <laughs> Can you tell us about their trip down memory lane, Karen? Do I have to? Can we just skip it to the next scene? Nope. We have to give the readers what they want. And what they want is clan talk. Why is that what they want? Why must you all torment me? <laughs> you lot and the ghostwriters, you're all in on it. Yeah. Conspiracy. It's not tormenting me. I love it. Come on. <sighs> yeah, that was the revelation on Twitter today. I've outed you as a clam enjoyer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Italian like delicious clam uh, clam pasta dish. <laughs> Tasty. But surely even a clam enjoyer wouldn't go near the hot clam special from the dairy burger because that sounds <laughs> disgusting, like regardless of your taste in seafood, surely. <laughs> well, yeah, true. I mean, no one's going near that in the right mind. <laughs> but that is not where they went on their, George and Grace went on their first date back in the mist of time. Yeah, so uh, Grace uh, reminds George that apparently she spun past, uh, she was out driving around today and managed to go past the place that they had their first date and reminisces with him about, remember that funny little clam bar in <laughs> Marpa Heights? Remember that old place? <laughs> A funny little clam bar. Why? Like, why? 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 Yeah. 
I mean, Why? people have <laughs> spoken like, and they have things, mad bars. Of all the things to stay consistent about, like they've just thrown everything else out the window and the clams just remain every time. <laughs> just when you think, been a while now, maybe they've forgotten about the clams. No, no. <laughs> the clams persevere at every corner <laughs> of all the fucking things to remain a through line from the very start of this series. It's fucking clams. Like, it is. Just... And as many people have pointed out to us, like clams are so much more a New England thing than uh-huh. a California thing. And fucking clam shacks and clam bars are very much a staple of that side of the country and not so much California. So like none of it makes any sense. This isn't necessary. Why? Why? Why, Yana? <laughs> well, George and uh, Grace couldn't get enough of those clams. Um <laughs> Uh, God, I'm actually. What, what stage of their trip down memory lane are we on? Who's they went to the club <laughs> date? But it wasn't their official first date because their official first date. So they drove down to LA to the jazz. Just you know, in a way, you have to admire the consistency. <laughs> like sure, clams. I guess I'll just have to deal with that. But also the jazz. Like it's. Uh, Generation after generation of Sweet Valley and can't get enough of that smooth fucking jazz. They just love it. Well, Lila is speechless trying to picture the scene. Her mother and father hanging out at a jazz bar in LA. Her parents quote, just kids, just kids, kids in love. And they're bagging on about the old days. Lila loves us because she wants them to, you know, keep talking about, forget she was there and keep talking about the days when they were young and falling in love and she's sure the spark has returned. So uh, George asks Grace if she's looked up any of her old pals from Sweet Valley and apparently she's met Diane Sutton, mother of Amy, but they mostly Mm. talked about Liz's trial and uh, Lila um, has some news about Alice. Yeah, she uh, she kind of says, yeah, you know, agrees that it's it's all really horrible and a terrible situation and says, you know, supposedly Alice Wakefield can't cope at all. I mean, she's like on the verge, you know, uh, Lila says, and uh, just how surprised she is by this because Alice always seems so together, balancing career and family. You know, Alice was having it all uh, in her girl boss way. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so she's just like, you know, who would have expected her to come apart at the seams like this? And Grace is like, well, where did you get this from? Uh, and Lila's like, well, like from Jessica. She thinks her whole family is going nuts. She's been telling everyone her dad's acting like a maniac. Her mother's acting like a fruitcake. She can't relate to her brother at all and her sister. And then Grace kind of cuts in and gets kind of emotional and says, you know, it's important for the Wakefields to stick together. And Jessica shouldn't forget she only has one family. And like Grace is obviously quite, uh, she's getting a bit upset, I think, at the thoughts of families not sticking together. And Lila kind of realizes she might not actually be talking about the Wakefields here. And, you know, it's almost as if she's talking about us because there's, you know, pain in Grace's eyes. And she's really gotten kind of emotional out of nowhere. But uh, but Lila kind of realizes now that she's luckier than Jessica because her own family have gathered together for the first time in years in a time of trouble. So uh, so it's a good thing. But then she kind of wonders why Grace looks so sad. Why indeed? Hmm. Mm. Uh, but uh, yes, she's still happy that the family are back together, and she says so. And Grace just silently squeezes her hand. Hmm. So we cut to the Castell Wakefield where a frowning Jessica is flicking through TV, having ditched her pals uh, who are going to the beach. And we're told her tan is fading. She'll probably be as pale as Elizabeth soon. But she doesn't care. So you know, things <laughs> yeah. are bad. 
Oh, really bad. She doesn't care about sunbathing or shopping or any of the things she usually enjoyed. She kind of wonders what's the matter with her. So she listlessly eats some guacamole and then thinks some uh, very uh, unhealthy thoughts about the effect of uh, this on her waistline. So she goes mm-hmm. to look at the, uh, she knows the new issue of Sweet 16 should arrive today with her ingenue. Uh <laughs> Also, uh, because she knows that we'll have some diet tips. Definitely no sassy readers in this household. Um, <laughs> because I can tell you, they, 1993 sassy readers would not have been reading diet. There would have been no diet tips there. But uh, as well as Sweet 16, she finds a letter. And when she stares at it, she goes full Margot. Oh my God, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, because Jessica has just been like unhinged, but not in a particularly enjoyable way until now. Oh yeah. Uh, because, yes, yeah, she realises the letter didn't have a stamp. Someone has come by and put it through the mail slot themselves. But who? So she recognises the handwriting as Todd's. But the letter wasn't addressed to her. It was for Elizabeth. So she leans back against the wall, staring at the letter. After a long moment, she laughed out loud, amazed by Todd's stupidity. <laughs> Fair. Did he really think I wouldn't see this? She asked the empty hallway. <laughs> Oh God. And to be fair to Jessica, like, yeah, what the fuck was Todd thinking? Like, how you'd ever put something through a letterbox to oh that house, God. address for Elizabeth, oh. not expect Jess to intercept it and throw it in the fucking bin. Like, it's just ridiculous from him. Yeah, it's it's lunacy. Um, so, yeah, she uh, she thinks he's begging, begging Elizabeth to take it back. He's ready to throw me aside like a no pair of basketball sneakers. Well, I won't let her take him away from me. And she angrily stuffs the envelope into her back pocket. But she doesn't enjoy her triumph. She feels she should have felt triumphant at the thought of intercepting the letter and foiling Todd's attempts. <laughs> To communicate, uh, to communicate, uh, to communicate with Elizabeth, so she just feels stabbing pain in her heart, and she doesn't really want Todd. She just wants another boy she can never see or touch again, never, never again. So she slides to the floor, sobbing. And so I don't say, boo fucking who? Uh, he's better <laughs> off without her. I bet he drove the car into that tree. <laughs> I was doing his best to flip that cheap over to get the hell out of that relationship. <laughs> I mean, she would never let him go. So. Oh, so true. <laughs> well, we cut to the courtroom where Enid is very distressed watching both Liz stumbling through her answers, which are pretty much all just, I don't remember. Like, um, yeah, but there's been days of this court case. And it, seems like, <laughs> it seems like the DA has gotten Liz on the stand every day to ask her the same questions to which she keeps just saying, I don't remember. It's like, this court case is an absolute joke. Oh, it's a shambles. Please, rubbish. At this one stage, the Dilworth, Hemsworth, Dilworth, whatever his name was, he, Hempstead, Dilworth, he he notices that Liz remembers all the details of her dress, etc., but not the crash, and says, is it possible you don't remember certain things because you don't want to remember them because you can't confront your own guilt? Or it's because that's how getting really pissed works, is that you remember the part before you were pissed. It's called getting progressively drunker as the night goes on. By the way, somehow this shocks Eden. She's like, how dare he ask this? I mean, the thing you should be shocked at is how does Ned not have any objection to to the way this trial is going? And why doesn't he have a proper defence? So she's like, oh, does Ned think Liz is guilty? He doesn't seem to be saying anything. I mean... I think that's just because he's a terrible lawyer. <laughs> he's just really bad at this. <laughs> but uh, the court is adjourned. Why? We don't know. And Enid <laughs> notices that Todd is uh, is is entranced by something. 
Oh, yeah, he he's holding his breath, searching for something in Elizabeth's face, waiting for a word or gesture. But uh, like Liz doesn't speak, doesn't blink. She's got uh, the blank eyes of a China doll. So she <laughs> doesn't really see anybody as she's walking past. She's like a poor um, Trisha. She <laughs> yeah, can only assume she's wearing one of her Victorian blouses. Um, but yeah, so Enid kind of watches this and it's kind of like, okay. And she sees like Todd staring after Liz, his expression tortured and hopeless. So she's like, okay, come on, let's, let's get out of here. But uh, Enid's kind of wondering then, because I think it's Friday at this stage and Ned mm-hmm. had apparently said the trial would probably only take three days. He probably found that in his lawyering for dummies book. Um, <laughs> so apparently it means that on Monday this might all be over. So she shudders as she imagines the verdict coming through and uh, and what it's going to be. Because, oh yeah, there's also no jury. So, oh yeah. Like, this yeah. thing is this just <laughs> nonsense from a beginning to end. Uh, it's just the weirdest court case that's ever happened. Well, they did distract herself from the, the improf- unprofessional nature of this possibly illegal trial. Yeah. And then she notices the bailiff has remained after the judge has retired to her chambers. And the bailiff is talking to a nervous looking young man in a college sweatshirt, but Ian doesn't recognise him and she doesn't have the mental energy to think about him. She's just hmm. worried about Liz. Yeah. We cut to Stephen, who's distracted. Um, he hasn't been able to study and because, uh, but he also, he couldn't attend Liz's court case today. So he's just, you know, in a bad state. Hmm. Then he's hailed by some person, a uh, former uh uh, or a classmate called Bart Lloyd and he's Stephen's not in the mood for Bart who's a pompous jerk but then Bart pushes uh, Stephen's buttons he does yeah so Bart kind of comes over uh, you know being kind of commiserating and saying you know I'm really sorry about your sister but like yeah Stephen's not in the forum for it and doesn't like this guy anyway so he tries to get away from him but then Bart kind of goes oh you know and I'm sorry about your mom too and Stephen's like wait what are you talking about so this guy Bart is like yeah you know I heard she's really gone over the edge uh, over all of this has really lost her marbles isn't she like in the hospital or something and Stephen's shocked to hear this because as far as he's concerned nobody knows how bad things are at home and that Alice has just fucking like checked out and is a robot Uh, so he just kind of says you know what are you talking about none of that's true where did you hear that Uh, so yes Bart's just like you know sorry man you know it's just a story that I heard so Stephen's like well it's a lie whoever told it to you Uh, and Bart is kind of like all right okay gives gives Stephen a friendly slap on the shoulder which is a change up from the playful punch Mm -hmm. I thought you might appreciate a sassy slap maybe (laughs) (laughs) a sassy slap across the face but um yeah, so Bart heads off anyway, and Stephen is fuming after this because he's wondering who would spread such a cruel rumor. So, and nearly the worst part of, of it is that it's true because, like, Alice has fucking lost it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he kind of thinks you know nobody outside of the family knows about this. No one else knows how bad she really is. Uh, so he's just wondering who could have spilled the beans about Alice's mental state at the moment. Hmm. Who indeed? Hmm. Well, well, meanwhile, Jessica leaves cheerleading and she goes to find Todd in the gym. And when he sees her on the bleachers with her hair up in a ponytail, he does a double take. And this, th- or Jessica sourly <laughs> thinks, ugh, I look even more like Elizabeth with her hair like this. Then she stays there just staring at him for half a fucking hour. 
quite unnerving. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? And she's sort of pondering in a cold, psychotic way. But like, why is she, you know, so into him? And uh, he's like, fine, he's good looking, but like, so are the rest of the team. And she thinks another part of her looks taut with the need, a hunger, the glue, what were urgent with every passing minute. She wanted to run her fingers through his damp hair. She wanted to pull him close, crush herself against his broad strength. But she fears he'll crawl back to Liz. So he finishes his practice. She intercepts him and invites him for a stroll on a romantic cove at Moon Beach. And he's like, uh, no, sorry. And she suggests, you know, movie, a movie or pizza. And he just keeps saying no. He's obviously not into it. And mm. um, Jessica almost cries with rage and frustration. So she flounces off. What oh, fucking Todd? Grabs her and is like, oh, sorry, sorry, don't go. Maybe tomorrow. Todd, you had an out and you did not take it. <laughs> Oh my god. Like all he had to do was nothing, which is what he's been doing <laughs> all along. And now he fucking takes action, which is to stop Jessica and say, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Like it's just Ugh. But just as Liz or Jessica uh, thinks, he's coming to his senses. He's realizing he'd be crazy to blow me off. She has a flash of intuition and she realizes why that he actually does not want you know, anything to do with her. He mm. wants to know if Liz got his letter, but he doesn't want to ask her outright. And she has the urge to belt him across the face. <laughs> this is it, because that's hurt her feelings and she wants to hurt him back now. So, um, yeah, she kind of says, you know, Todd, if you're worried about Liz, you shouldn't be. She doesn't deserve your sympathy. She doesn't need it. She doesn't need any of us. She won't take phone calls anymore, even from Enid. And apparently this is a lie. But she figures it all just kind of, you know, works in her favor because it just makes this kind of picture of Liz as like a lost cause. And that mm. no one, you know, she's blocking everyone out and no one can get through to her. So you might as well forget about her. Uh, and then she says, you know, oh, and yesterday she got a letter from someone. I don't know who. And of course, Todd's eyes light up at this. Uh, so Jess just continues to lie and says, oh, you know, she read it, but then she just ripped it up and threw it away. You wouldn't know her anymore, Todd. She's like a rock these days cold and hard and she kind of watches with satisfaction like absolute psychopath behavior uh, as the light faded from Todd's eyes she's like a rock Jessica repeated gently but firmly tapping the last nail into the coffin of Todd and Elizabeth's love (laughs) she uh, seriously Margot hurry up and take (laughs) her you cannot get here fast enough Well, we cut to the tennis court where Bruce is making a total bald, no pun intended, of his game of someone called Chad. But he's distracted by Pamela trying out for the girls team. Uh, She's poetry in motion. Uh, which I believe he described her as before. I then, he has, yeah. then he has gross judgmental thoughts about her. And it's like, how could she appear to be as sweet and beautiful as an angel and turn out to be the exact opposite? Um, so he focuses on, finally tries to drive her from his mind and focuses on the game. And he does win a set. But when he leaves practice, he's like, okay, she'll be gone by now. Um, he basically, his paths cross with hers. And he's just a dick. He's like, after you, snidely. And uh, Pamela just looks like she's going to say something, but doesn't mm. and hurries towards her car. And he feels guilty for a second, but then he fucking doubles down. Oh, like just absolutely rotten behaviour from Bruce. Uh, yeah, he kind of thinks, yeah, as you say, he does have a moment of feeling guilty and a kind of a sudden desire to make up with her and then decides, he kind of fights down the guilt, his secret, pathetic, wimpy, inexcusable desire to make <sighs> up with her. It's like, oh, you mean being normal and mm-hmm. human and not an absolute prick? But he thinks to himself that she's not the injured one you're wasting your time feeling sorry for her so he just 
oh, he's just awful to her. He just kind of like calls after her really loudly. So I guess if there's anyone else there, they can all hear this yeah. as well. And just goes, oh, heading home already, Pamela. I want to stick around uh, school a little longer. You could catch the tail end of football practice. Or do you like basketball players better? And like Pamela turns around and is horrified by this. And like for some reason, her pain only egged Bruce on. It's like, because mm, you're a terrible person, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he continues and goes, oh, maybe you'd rather sit in on a faculty meeting. You're ready for some older men. Then like laughs at his own awful joke uh climbs into the porch and drives off but he does see that like you know she's crying bawling crying uh as he's driving off uh leaving her standing in a cloud of dust apparently um but like just absolutely horrendous behavior from him here it's so bad but why does pamela love him like she barely knows him he has proven to be a dick Mm. this should not be like oh he's the only boy i've ever loved and i've lost him it's like oh wow i fancy this boy who i went out with once and he was an arsehole that should be what you have learned from this pamela truly like this kind of carry on is unforgivable like that, yeah. that, that she isn't just like right well fuck this guy I clearly wasted my time over him and ever like worrying about him or wanting him back because he's shown his droop colours now he's awful I'm gonna move on oh please family you're too good for him honestly well then we have I, I mean we can skim over this scene in like two mm. sentences um because God knows this was a long book and it was did not need to be as long as it was. Because basically, Stephen accuses Billy of spreading the word about Alice going mad because he realised she was the only person he told about uh, his worries about her. Hmm. And he says that she betrayed him. And he's like, no, Stephen, it's just you who betrayed me. And so she's going to leave in the morning. And when she slams the door of her room, Stephen feels like a drowning man seeking in deep water. His life ring having just slipped from his fingers. Oh no, I suppose Billy was kind of a good thing that was going on in his life because they were getting along so well and having a nice time as roommates and all the mm. rest. And now he's fucked that basically because Billy's like, you know what, fuck you, I'm out of here. So she's not having that at all. Well, we cut to Sweet Valley where Lisa's lowering herself to take the bus. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, oh, like a poor person. <laughs> Yeah. Says Elizabeth stepped off the bus at a stop just a few a few blocks away from the Sweet Valley Town Beach. It felt a little funny taking public transportation, but these days with her driver's license suspended indefinitely, the bus was her only option. And in fairness, this is again the ghostwriter has just has not read these books because Liz has taken the bus many times before. That's true, actually. Yeah, if Jess has just sort of taken the back in the days of the Fiat Spider, like Jess would just take off with it or not tell. Liz that she had cheerleading practice or something like that so yeah getting the bus is not a completely foreign concept for Liz because she's usually the one that's left in the lurch when it comes to lifts and stuff and like people do get the bus in this town it's not a big deal (laughs) well Liz uh, heads to the beach and she finds it very soothing and she wishes she could stay there forever but she knows she has to take responsibility and like face the music and there's a genuinely quite poignant part where she remembers the night of the Big Mesa uh, raid on the picnic and how Jessica swam out to sea and she gets into the water and she starts sort of wading out like a bit too far mm. um, and she finds herself wanting to swim out and keep going and there's quite a touching bit where she thinks what would it be like she wondered curious what's out there what is it like Sam and uh, but she you know it's basically her lowest moment oh, in a way. Well, yeah and it was surprisingly touching I have to say yeah. like, I, like and I know some of these books have gotten kind of dark but like for a Wakefield to get dark like this mm-hmm. is pretty unusual yeah. Um, but yeah and it was kind of yeah I was kind of surprised by how poignant it was but so what is it like know, Sam actually made oh, me go oh man yeah same uh, yeah. and like yeah she kind of starts to cry and then realises look you know I'm I'm the lucky one here I'm still alive and yeah. you know whatever's in store for me 
you know, at least I, you know, I made it out alive from this awful fucking night. So she does turn around and walk back out of the sea. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was, I was surprised actually by how touched I was by that. Well, I say. Again, these, you know, we never thought when we started this that we would ever feel human <laughs> emotions at any Street Valley books. But every so often we get upset or they moved. or guard yeah. every so often. They still have it in them. <laughs> Well, we cut to the casa where Jessica is putting on music out loud upstairs to avoid thinking about her family. But then she goes down, peeks in into the sitting room, and she sees Sirius Lid, Liz, uh, Stephen, and Ned. Well, I'll just clean the fucking windows. But then Ned, oh my god, he, he goes, look, this is what I have so far. He holds up a big blank page. Ned, that has been the inside of your brain so far for this fucking trial. Like, it's the night before, like, the last day. Does he even have a closing argument? Who knows? He's literally got a blank A4 pad in front of him. It is hilarious how fucking inept this man is. And he says, only you could put words on the paper. It's like, no, you could put words on the paper because your daughter cannot remember what happened and you have to come up with an alternate defence, which is staring you in the fucking face. (laughs) It is wild how this whole thing has panned out. Like, how has this man remained a lawyer? Like, is this how he carries on in his fucking property law or family law or whatever fucking type of law he's decided to turn his hand to that day? It's, it's That's why he has to keep changing his uh, field of speciality. Oh, he keeps fucking up and be like, well, I'll try this out instead. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, uh, Alice comes in with snacks and it's a bizarre and disur- disturbing tableau because she's got like a bright, smiley face, which just makes everything weirder. Yeah. And uh, Jessica is, is mesmerized by the scene and it actually hits her uh, that tomorrow her twin is going to be um, found guilty of manslaughter. And there's a bit where she almost, she sort of disassociates. Mm. Yeah, she kind of, uh, there's this odd sensation uh, sweeping over her and it's kind of like she suddenly left her body and is looking down from above at the scene and at herself and she kind of wonders how she can be so calm, how she can stand this. Um, so she kind of clenches her hands into fists, has a little Todd moment um, <laughs> and starts to wonder that, or starts to think, you know, if she didn't, she was afraid she might start shaking. She might start shaking, crying, screaming. <gasps> she might fly apart into a million pieces uh, because, of course, the secret is struggling to get out because Uh-oh. she has been keeping this inside all this time, her horrible secret. Uh, and next thing she hears someone calling her. So it's like Jessica jumps and she's like, what? What? She's kind of guilty uh, and then realizes it's Ned who's talking to her. And they're yes. all looking at her but yeah he's like Jessica come here he pleaded his voice low and urgent join us please and I have to say that is not a tableau that I would be too willing <laughs> to join into because it sounds creepy and weird and unprofessional so no thanks I'm good bye <laughs> well Jessica uh, is not creeped out by it the way we would be but she can't <laughs> she wants to she's torn between running to her family and running away from them and the awful truth of how Elizabeth came to be drunk and why she'd driven off the night of the road the night of the jungle prom the awful truth of who was really responsible for Sam's death Mm. she runs away possibly crying (laughs) undetermined (laughs) and uh and now we uh, we should take a little break because, as you know, we are proud members of the Headstuff Pod uh, Headstuff Podcast <laughs> Network, and uh, we like to share uh, another podcast from the network with you this week. And this week, to whet your appetites, it's Spice Bags. 
Yes, uh, Spice Bags is back. Uh, it's an award-winning food podcast hosted by three fantastic foodies. You've got May, Blanca and Dee. They're three multicultural women living in Ireland. They love chatting about food that they love, sometimes the food that they hate. Uh, and they interview people from home and abroad who are helping to shape the culture of food here in Ireland. So if you're in any ways a foodie, then I would say definitely check out Spice Bags and you can have a little uh, taste of mm-hmm. what it's like <laughs> over on Spice Bags here now. The award-winning Spice Bags podcast is back with season four. You can expect the same mix of staple chats with me, Dee Laffin, Blanca Valencia, and Mei Chin, and deep dives into countries' cuisines, conversations with people from the international community of food in Ireland. Look forward to listening to episodes about shopping, about cakes, Argentina, Nigeria, plus an episode to celebrate the launch of our cookbook, Blast Books Soup. So tune in to us wherever you access your podcasts or Headstuff Podcast Com. And now, back to LA. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Margot's at the City of Angels. Oh, good for her. <laughs> you love to see it. <laughs> She's in California. And uh, she buys a ticket at the train station to Sweet Valley. And when uh, she's asked one way around trip, she says, one way. So, then. After she gets her ticket, she heads to a diner where she sits up on a stool and shows off her legs and she knows she looks amazing. Uh, Again, she is 16, so this is quite wrong. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) she feels that she's in control of of her life now and she enjoys her power as people glance her way. And she tosses her glossy black hair. How the fuck is her hair glossy after three days on a bus? (laughs) Seriously. That's true, actually, yeah. Like, unless she's been washing it in, like, petrol station sinks I just mm. I don't understand it <laughs> well she's a she knows she makes a pretty picture and gradually she becomes aware that someone is watching her and she could see a young tall fair haired boy and thinks oh yeah how long would it take me to lure this boy to me and have him ready to do my bidding <laughs> so she thinks she knows how to fix him she's got to do a full car trusted me <laughs> routine so she goes to turn her head to freeze him with an icy discouraging glare but then instead she is the one who froze and why oh Oh my goodness because it wasn't a stranger who's been staring her at all Uh, it was Josh Smith Georgie's older brother (gasps) yes it is and she feels panicky and he stands up and starts to walk towards her with slow purposeful strides and she's like he's no proof he's no proof I had anything to do with anything um, but he sits down next to her or, and she can smell him he smelt of soap and danger but or soap and sweat and she thinks he smells like danger but she thinks triumphantly he also smelled like fear <laughs> oh Margo you mad bitch <laughs> she can smell fear I love her she got him. So Josh, uh, in a very low voice, so only she can hear, uh, he says to her, don't bother trying to run. Your running days are over. So Margot very loudly says back, pardon me, I don't believe I know you. I've never seen you before. So of course, this gets other people's attention mm. in the diner. So Josh kind of looks a bit uncomfortable and he's like, look, I'm on to you. I know about the fire in New York and the death of the little girl. I know you're the one responsible for Georgie's death. I'm on to you. And in about one minute, I'm going to turn you over to the police. So Margot just totally keeps her cool through all of this. Her expression is blank. She's not revealing anything. She knew she could win this face off if she (gasps) held her cards close to her chest while Josh scattered his all over the table. Didn't he know he was making the fatal mistake? Didn't he know you had to keep your emotions in check if you wanted to get your way? Didn't he know that cool, calm control would always try? 
I am over passion and heat. So Margot is unfazed by this fucking guy. Uh, and he continues and says, you know, I wanted to see you again before you're locked up, though. Locked up for good as you should be. You're a sick girl, Michelle, or whatever your name is. But again, if he knows about New York and the fire, then surely he'd know that her name is not Michelle and she mm. is, in fact, Margot. But anyway. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies here. But yeah. anyway, God love yeah. him. He's, he's determined. He's trying. <laughs> So he grabs her arm and is basically like, I've taken you to, you know, to the Lyris cop shop. But of course, Margot says, what do you think you're doing? Her voice high-pitched with outrage and distress. Get your hands off me. I've never seen you before in my life. And he's just like, oh, what? Because uh, he couldn't have seen that coming. Come on, Josh. But um, <laughs> people are, hurry to Mar- are hurrying to Margot's aid. The diner is in chaos. Josh is trying to explain above the din. She's lying. She does know me. She murdered my brother. I'm telling you, she's wanted by the police. Don't let her get away. Oh, yeah. But Margot is out of there as soon as he's like restrained by some men who like jump to defend her. Because of course they do, because, you know, it looks like he was bothering her as far as everybody else could see. Uh, So Margot just ducks out of the diner altogether, takes like a real kind of roundabout way back to the train station. She's kind of walking fast rather than running, can't risk drawing any attention. Uh, And she kind of berates herself a little bit because she's like, you know, this is what happens when you let your guard down. Of course, up to now, she was like, I've gotten away with everything. I'm a genius. Uh, But now she kind of figures she can't risk anything or she can't risk anybody following her to Sweet Valley. So she goes back to the ticket counter and swaps her ticket for one to San Diego instead because that's in the opposite direction. So apparently that train is about to leave. So she has to belt it down the platform to catch it uh, in time, which she does. So she kind of catches, she she sits down into an empty seat. Uh, she kind of is all distracted when the ticket uh, inspector comes along, but she like hands it over. It's all fine. And she kind of eventually starts to relax after kind of the time ticks by and nobody's approached her. No one's followed her onto the train. So she kind of realizes, OK, look, he almost cornered her, but she came out ahead. She's still free. She's the clever one. <laughs> And then in the train carriage, on her own, Margot let out a loud, unbidden laugh. Yes, she did. Sef- several people sitting nearby turned to stare at her, their eyes suspicious. Like, come on now, Margot, you've been so good for, like, not drawing attention, and now you're just laughing maniacally on a train. <laughs> Get it together. We're rooting for you here. But also, like, I, I'm sorry, why does she think, oh, well, I'll throw people off the scent by getting another, buying another ticket in person from a salesperson at this train station to San Diego? Like, if Josh does get the police and they come after you, they will ask at the station, have you seen this girl? And they'll go, yeah, yeah, she exchanged her ticket to San Diego. Like, it's not an amazing scheme. I guess, but I suppose it would make them more likely to go to San Diego rather than Sweet Valley to try and find Mm, her. That's true, but uh, even so, like... Margaret knows what she's doing, Anna. Don't you question (laughs) her the raspy voice will come back. Well, I'm just worried that she's, you know, not thinking clearly without the voice because it's sorely missed. Fair, fair, yeah. Well, we cut to Sweet Valley and the courthouse where Ned and Dilworth have been called to the judges' chambers before the session. Ned is like, oh, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I never finished my book. <laughs> <laughs> Alice probably brought him, brought him some hors d'oeuvres or something. <laughs> By the way, we're told Stephen has worn his best suit because he knows whatever the verdict is, he'll be in the papers. What are we thinking about that, Stephen? 
He's got his priorities in check. <laughs> well, we're told that Jessica has actually turned up today, but Liz uh, is already inside the courthouse waiting for the, you know, for, for things to begin. I don't know how this works. Yeah. We're also told that this weekend without Billy was the worst weekend of his life. I mean, really worse than the time your girlfriend died. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Oh, but uh, he sees that Liz is pals and Lila for some reason are all there too it's all very serious and Lila is solicitous and she asks after Alice yeah so of course Stephen's kind of um, he hears this and he's like oh it kind of reminds him of his conversation with Bart and Lila's like Lila it does she is being genuine I think here she's not just kind of you know looking for information I don't think because yeah. uh, she does say look you know Jessica told us that you know Alice seemed a little shaky and she's like you know of course the trial has put a tremendous strain on her and it's totally understandable you know and I just I hope she I hope you all know if there's anything any of us can do so I think a bell rings so they all have to hurry inside so she's cut off but then uh, Stephen kind of realises that Lila had mentioned Jessica told us uh, you know all about how things are at home so like eventually it dawns on Stephen that obviously Jessica's the one who's been blabbing oh. about uh, Alice's mental state and then he thinks well maybe she only blabbed to Lila and Amy but even so the way those girls gossiped Stephen figured it probably only took about 30 seconds for the rumour of a nervous breakdown to reach the university and Bart Lloyd so Stephen finally realises uh, feeling sick about it that obviously Billy didn't have anything to do yeah. this so he blew up at her for no reason at all oh, it was yet another pointless misunderstanding in mm-hmm. Sweet Valley yeah, who knew? <laughs> so uh, we cut to Jessica's POV and she's captivated by the scene and she flicker, experiences an unwanted flicker of compassion seeing what Liz was up against. And when Ned and Dilworth come in, she notices that Ned looks energised. Um, and uh, she knows there's going to be a few more questions for Elizabeth. I did, what, sorry, <laughs> Why are you dragging this child up onto the stand <laughs> to the same questions for three days in a row? <laughs> Outrageous. Everyone should be fired. Please, <laughs> mistrial, start again. <laughs> well, apparently Ned and Miss and Dilworth are going to make closing statements and then the judge will render the verdict no jury required. Um, <laughs> I guess it's some sort of uh, military... <laughs> like special criminal court I don't know what's happening here special Wakefield court I like, oh well I mean they're meant to be, you're meant to be judged by a jury of your peers and who oh, is a peer oh, of the Wakefield oh my god that's what it is they are peerless in this oh. <laughs> it couldn't be done you're right you fucking cracked it oh, there we go well Jessica wonders what the verdict will be and wonders what she wants it to be. And mm. when Liz comes in and she sees uh, or step, takes the stand and takes the oath, Jessica has a moment of truth and realises that she should be on trial um, alongside Elizabeth. And Dilworth is snide as he asks Liz again about the boozing. And this is like... For the last time. I know it sounds crazy. And she says, um, I don't know how I got the liquor. Like she acknowledged she was drunk, but she doesn't know how it happened. And she says, someone must have spiked my drink or something. Oh, I'm just glad somebody finally fucking said it. Like, but the fact that this isn't the whole basis of Ned's case or yeah. that he has any basis for it. Like, yeah. it's just so annoying. <laughs> But of course, the words uh, are like are like a shock to uh, to Jessica's system when she hears this. Yeah, she springs to her feet, gripping the bench in front of her. No, she wanted to shout in self-defence. No, you can't prove it. It's like, there's no fucking proof it's you, you absolute fool. And you can blame it on the big Mesa boy who gave you the booze. Um, 
But Jessica is a nervous wreck as Alice pulls her back into her seat. And she wonders, because again, all she's worried about is just personally getting into trouble. Because she thinks, Mm. what if all of a sudden she does remember? What if some level deep down inside she knows it was me? But there's no more questions. Because when Dilworth finished, Jessica the psychopath is like, oh, thank fuck, that's over and I'm not going to get into trouble and my (laughs) sister is being punished for something I did. She looks over and uh, at Ned and she assumes he'll be slumped in his seat with the, uh, you know, realizing his defeat, but he springs to his his feet. He does. Uh, yeah, he announces, uh, as per the agreement made earlier this morning, the defense would like to call a surprise witness, uh, and everybody's like, "Oh, what? Oh God, a surprise witness?" Uh, so <laughs> that was my impression of the crowd in the TV series. <laughs> oh, very good. Who's that? Let's go, Elizabeth. We love you. <laughs> we, we believe in you. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so everybody is uh, shocked by this and there's an excited buzz uh, going around the courtroom because uh, everybody's like, what the hell is going on? And of course, Jessica oh. starts freaking out. She's like, what's going on? A surprise witness? Did someone see me spike Elizabeth's drink? Like, oh my God, will I actually be held accountable for my actions? This is the worst thing in the world. And also, what might, I love the fact that she. She thinks uh, that her dad would, if he found out that she had spiked Liz's drink and let Liz take the play for this, would be like, I'm, I'm a spring in a step. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like, I'm really excited to reveal the surprise witness who's going to condemn my other daughter. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, God. Well, so ridiculous. Liz is almost fainting with nerves, but when she looks at Ned, he gives her a sort of a reassuring gaze and a tiny flame of hope uh, springs up in her heart. And he calls Gilbert Harding to the stand, who's this random bloke... Um, it's like a you know college age, and Liz hmm. never seen him before. And turns out he's a student at the community college. And uh, when he's sworn in, he he tells a sorry tale. Um, basically, he went to visit a girl he'd been dating. They got in an argument. She dumped him. Got a cab back home. Um, and he drove and took in his car, having had a few beers, and he took his eyes off the road. <gasps> Oh my God, yes. So when he looked up, he saw that he was coming around a bend on the wrong side of the road and there was a black jeep heading straight at him. (gasps) And of course, this is all the night of the prom. So Liz kind of suddenly has kind of a flashback or suddenly kind of it triggers a memory in her because it's like the car was coming right at her. There wasn't time to get out of the way. Mm. She couldn't avoid it. They were going to crash. So Gil points at Liz, his eyes flooding with tears and says the whole thing was my fault. She was driving just fine because, of course, even if you're absolutely fucking tanked on the magical vodka (laughs) as a Wakefield, you still drive absolutely fucking perfectly. (laughs) This was absolutely not her fault whatsoever like she was driving just fine like there's no way she was driving just fine. no give me a break I mean he but was anyway. pissed too so his, his judgment was off maybe that's true but mm. like hilarious so yeah they both swerved it was too late so he you know says like he sideswiped the jeep it went off the road uh, and he panicked and kept going and he apologizes and says he's so sorry he didn't come forward sooner for what he put her through he's guilty of a hit and run accident where's this boy's lawyer yeah. uh, <laughs> he says he's ready to take his punishment uh, and yeah Ned is like no further questions <laughs> And then the court adjourns for about five seconds. Liz is like, oh my God, did I actually not do, you know, am I actually innocent? <laughs> then court uh, judge comes back two seconds later, declares she's not guilty. Hey, no closing arguments needed. <laughs> the, verdict <laughs> done here. In, the verdict is in. 
Hilarious. But I must say, I had forgotten all of this because I know I read this book back in yeah. the day. I genuinely gasped with this whole Gilbert situation. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> he was driving on the wrong side of the road. Liz was driving perfectly. Like, of course he fucking wasn't. But uh, yeah, this, I, I did, I didn't know how it was going to wrap up, like, uh, but this uh, did surprise me. And I very much enjoyed this ridiculous scene. <laughs> it was a good twist. I will absolutely give them that. Yeah, I also yeah. enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> and of course, Jessica, oh yeah, by the way, we're told that she, her driving license is still suspended because yes. for some strange reason, that we'll never know uh, she was driving while intoxicated but <laughs> Jessica with a weird sense of elation realises she if Liz is guilty isn't guilty mm. therefore she so is uh, she isn't guilty either because yeah. someone else caused it and uh, now in fairness she does realise this point later on because you're still kind of guilty Jessica because if they weren't drunk they wouldn't have been in the car in the first place exactly yeah so uh, everyone is joyful for Liz including Todd Jessica's rage and her elation fades and bitterness fills her heart as he sees as she sees him walk towards Elizabeth um, and she Liz leaves the court clinging to her parents while Stephen clears a path uh, through the crowd and Jessica fucking sulks again she does. And I, I do kind of just wonder at like the logistics of this. Is it like that they've all just sort of taken off without Jessica or is she kind of, I don't know, is she hanging back herself or what? Like, Because yeah. you'd think they'd just be kind of gathering up all the wakefields in a big yeah. tearful hug and all kind of pile out together. But like, yeah, it's either they've all just kind of cut Jessica out of this or I mean, more who likely. Well, look, I know, but also <laughs> it's probably more likely that she's just kind of standing back and not getting involved and just mm. too busy being mad at everybody. Yeah, so she feels like I'm not part of this family anymore. And then she looks at Todd and she's like, I have to make him see what I see. And she thinks justice hasn't been served. Who is going to make reparation to her and Todd for their suffering? Todd's suffering is entirely self-caused. Oh, it's all his own doing. There is yeah. no sympathy for Todd here. Come on now, Yes. <laughs> and then she commands, commands, they use this word, let's get out of here, Todd. She commanded, holding his gaze, willing him to bend to her wishes, to abandon <laughs> his misguided dream of reconciliation with Elizabeth. And Todd's shoulders drooped somewhat. <laughs> the last faint glimmer of hope flickered throughout his, in his eyes. Oh, he nodded and putting his hand over Jessica's, escorted him from the courtroom. Liz she... should never go near either of you two pricks as long as she lives. <laughs> like, yes, fair. Absolutely. This whole thing. Oh, fucking Todd. I've just, I'm so done with it. <laughs> I really am. There's no coming back from this. <laughs> well, we cut to Stephen's apartment where he notices all the homey little touches Billy made and how her, you know, her feminine touch made it a home. And now, now he's gone, she's gone and he thinks, I didn't even realise he was falling in love with her. What a dork. And he feels terrible about accusing her of a crime she didn't commit and thinks uh, he should have taken the opportunity to love again because love is so rare. I mean, Cara and Trisha who? <laughs> and various Trisha doppelgangers. <laughs> Jesus, it's not rare for you, Stephen. I think that's been proved. But um, he thinks, oh no, I, I, told, I told Todd he should have had faith in Elizabeth and then I didn't have faith in Billy. I mean, Todd and Liz were going out for a very long time and yeah. you've known Billy for about a fortnight. <laughs> um, so yeah, he hopes that he didn't discourage Todd from trying to patch things up with Liz. And we cut to Amy and Lila who are heading back to town after the, uh, I think all this part of this book is so anticlimactic after the verdict. But anyway, mm. Uh, yeah, Amy and Lila are heading back into town and they wonder what the fuck is up with Jessica and Todd. <laughs> um, 
And Amy asks Lila to stop at Project Youth because she has to pick something up, but says that Lila can wait in the car if she's uncomfortable. But actually, Lila is fine about being in Project Youth. Mm. Yeah, she kind of, it seems like she's she's kind of, I guess coming out the other side of it maybe is too strong, but uh, just that she's she's she has worked through some stuff and she does feel okay about the place now uh, and does think, you know, it's amazing what a person can work through. Yeah, um, so and things are okay with her and Nathan. This is it, yeah. They've all kind of, yeah, they've patched things up and there's no kind of grudges or hard feelings, it seems mm. like, which is quite big of Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, so she's fine going in and, and doesn't feel weird or uncomfortable about it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, when they walk in, they notice uh, that Pamela is there chatting to the receptionist. Um, and she kind of looks away when she spots them. And uh, yeah, Lila kind of wonders oh, what she's doing there. She says, God, I hope she's not here for counselling. She looks like such a nice girl. I'd feel terrible if after only a week at Sweet Valley High, she needed therapy. <laughs> and, like, I have to say, she probably does and she wouldn't be alone in that. <laughs> Every single person in in that town needs therapy and has done for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> well, Amy admits she feels like a total witch for mm-hmm. blabbing about uh, her bad reputation. And Lila knows all about bad reputations now and points out very sensibly, has anyone tried to get to know her? Or have we all just assumed her reputation tells us everything we need to know? And they're both kind of guilty and... Uh, you know, they decide, uh, Amy confesses she hasn't said a single word and so much for the sensitivity I've supposedly learned being a Project Youth volunteer. I mean, yes, Amy. We've been thinking that for quite some time, Amy. (laughs) Thanks for catching up. (laughs) But they decide it's not too late to befriend her and get her and Bruce back together. Um, And we cut to Pamela's POV at this page. This is like literally about three pages of her introduced to every single child in the fucking place by name. But anyway, she's going to volunteer at the after school program in the Project Youth two days a week. She needs something to fill her days. Um, And as she leaves, she wants to escape because she sees Amy and Lila whispering together. And, you know, she's sure they're talking about her. But uh, when she turns to go, um, they ask her to go for a soda. Yeah. So Pamela's a little bit hesitant at first Uh because she kind of wonders... Yeah, are they going to like set her up somehow make fun of her, pull, pull some kind of prank and again a very reasonable thing to assume when it comes to the kids in Sweet Valley High especially the popular ones uh, because apparently uh, Roger has actually approached her as well before and you know made some friendly overtures but she blew him off because she knew that he was Bruce's cousin uh, and she figured that uh, she just couldn't trust Roger after the way Bruce has been carrying on but then wonders if she, maybe she was mistaken and maybe mm. Roger actually was just trying to be nice so she figures with Lila and Amy she doesn't have anything to lose she might as well give them the benefit of the doubt and she figures look if they're going to be bitches I can handle that and if not she might actually have a friend in Sweet Valley finally. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lila kind of uh, says that it'll be her treat. So Amy's like, yeah, you should really accept that offer because they, that will not happen again. Yeah. <laughs> so like Lila pouts and they kind of laugh. Uh, so Pamela agrees to go with them. So mm-hmm. they all head off uh, in the Lime Green Triumph, I believe. Yeah, to the Box Tree Cafe. Mm-hmm. Well, we cut to the Castadell Wakefield where Jessica is sulking because they made Elizabeth's favourite meal. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did they, make, they made her a favourite meal after she didn't go to fucking jail. Like, what? <laughs> She's so petty. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, Alice says she feels like a butterfly who's emerged from a chrysalis. Um, 
Uh, and uh, like all these weeks of hiding out and being afraid because there was nothing I could do to protect you from what was happening to you. I mean, you could have given her some oh, comfort. My God. Couldn't, like, th- there was nothing I could do. Like, there was nothing you fucking did, Alice. Like, it, it was genuinely that thing of we've we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Like, yeah. they just were completely useless, her and Ned. But oh. Alice was particularly fucking egregious all the way through that trial. Like, she was no comfort at all to oh. Liz. Like, Worse. it was extremely poor uh, from Alice. Like, but like, Liz is like oh you know where you did help me and you all helped me just by being there and it's like Alice was a fucking hindrance of anything like she was just walking around <laughs> dementedly cleaning books and windows and not fucking comforting anybody <laughs> and Jessica can't help noticing that Elizabeth looks around the table at everyone but her I mean I fucking wonder why Jessica come on <laughs> you haven't talked to her in like a month yeah um Jessica or Liz says she's lucky to have her family. I mean, she isn't. And Stephen is like, yeah, family, that's what families are for. They stick together. And Ned says, let's remember this moment, this closeness. And he raises his water glass in a toast. says, let's remember this feeling. And uh, Jessica is not happy with the idea of remembering this feeling. And she has another moment of truth. Yeah, she kind of shoves back her chair and starts yelling and says, look, I don't want to remember this moment. It's not happy. It's horrible. Because uh, she starts to wonder, like, clearly nobody cares about her torment. But uh, she couldn't stop. Oh, yeah. She couldn't stop thinking that despite the fact that somebody else had caused the car crash, it was she who had spiked the drinks. If it wasn't for her, Sam and Elizabeth would never have taken off like that, thoughtlessly putting themselves in the path of harm of death. So, yeah, that's when she kind of ju- you know jumps out of her chair and, and starts freaking out at everybody. But she says, you know, this is all horrible. How can you sit there and act like just because Liz was found innocent, everything's perfect, everything's fixed. Um, so Ned kind of tries to to reassure her a bit and says, look, you know, we know, but he, she cuts him off and says, you don't know, you don't care. All you care about is Elizabeth. Maybe this stupid trial is over, but Sam is still dead. And like, I, I can kind of see some of her magic here where like, if they're all being very cheerful, but like, yeah, that Sam is still dead in fairness. Mm. And also, where the fuck are Sam's parents in all of this? <laughs> Have they been watching this absolute clown show of a trial for the last while going, what the fuck is this? There is no justice for our poor, lovely son. Like, So yeah, it's... it's uh, it, it feels like it should be more of a mixed emotions kind of a night. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, Jessica uh, is not having it anyway and runs off crying. Of course, as is tradition. Hmm. Well, the next day at Sweet Valley High, Liz is nervous about entering the cafeteria, but Nina cheers her on. And, and actually, it's completely fine. Like she joins Olivia, Penny and Dee Dee, all their actual hmm. friends. And she, um, she she's really, you know, grateful for their support. But she's trying, still not trying to think about Todd. And she actually is blaming herself. She says, I was a monster that night at the jungle prom. It's why she should stay away from me. They should forget all about me and find someone new, someone worthy of him. You have nothing to feel guilty about, Liz. Oh, honestly, like the fact that he never even checked in on her after she was in a literal car crash where somebody died, but he was too like, oh, you were hugging somebody. (laughs) Like, Like Todd has just been unforgivable this last while. But yeah, for some reason, Liz is blaming herself. Mm. And I mean, I suppose she's been going through it. So maybe her feelings are all just kind of skewed all over the place. But uh, yeah, she um, she does. Yeah, she does think to herself, you should move on, find someone worthy of him. Uh, Even though like thinking about Todd with another girl, maybe even with Jessica made her want to cry, tear her hair out and sob. She missed him so much it hurt. But she says, you know, it's over between us and he loved me in another life. That was then. This is now. We can never go back. So everyone's kind of staring at her while all this is going through her mind. And they're like, are you okay, Liz? Because she probably hasn't said anything for a while. <laughs> Five minutes. 
so she's like, oh, sorry, I just kind of spaced out there. So then they kind of get back to talking about the Oracle and stuff. Yeah. And Penny's like, oh, can you, you know, write an article, an extra one or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Les is like, grand, I'm just going to throw myself into work and school and it'll all be fine. She thinks, I'll forget the only boy I ever loved. Hashtag poor Jeffrey. Wow. wow. <laughs> Harsh enough on poor old Jeffrey. Jesus. And if anything, this was Jeffrey's oh. more than more than plenty of moments for him to sweep in and be like, Liz, are you okay? What the <laughs> fuck? Everyone's abandoned you. I'm here for you because I'm cool. We know from the secret diary he's still holding a torch. So we do. This is it. Yeah. Well, we cut to the locker room. Oh, this is a tedious scene. Um, Bruce leaves and he bumps into Amy who asks for a lift home and Bruce is like what did she need a lift and I don't care and <laughs> gives her a lift and basically she babbles on for a while she does say I'm seriously considering advising Jess to go to Project Youth for counselling I mean I'm glad someone's suggesting she should get counselling seriously because her parents have dropped the ball on that one <laughs> along with everything else yeah. Um, but yeah she says speaking of Project Youth guess who I saw there and she talks about Pamela and says look that's why I'm here I wanted to apologise for the talking about her I didn't hmm. a lot of people are disfavor I didn't know anything about her when I said that she's really you know, now I spent some time with her basically she's really sound and you can't judge a book by his cover and sort of points out you know they, they sort of joke together and it's actually quite nice for exes because she's like you know we don't believe this a lot of people think I'm an airhead but <laughs> Bruce's like no way why would they think that and she gives him a playful bunch and it's like <laughs> but you know I'm not and anybody who knows me knows that and the same for you you know I might assume you were cocky selfish spoiled arrogant heartbreaker and they sort of tease each other and mm. Bruce basically keeps up his cynical front but and Amy doesn't push it but when Bruce drops her off she says one more thing Says, yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> it wasn't as dramatic as I implied. <laughs> sorry, I thought there was something else coming there for oh. a second. But no, she does reveal Pamela's still in love with you uh, and then hops out of the car. But I do just love Amy going, you know, some people think I'm an airhead, but I'm not really. And people get to know me. It's like, Amy, we know you pretty well by now. And I'm afraid you are an airhead. <laughs> True. I mean, not three hours of training or half an hour, whatever it was, it didn't sink in. No. <laughs> well, the next day, Amy, Lila, and Pamela are at the mall where Lila's shopping up a storm. Um, and uh, Amy points out that some people don't have clothing allowances. The sky's the limit for lie. I go on along from precarious thrills. I did not know anybody who had a clothing allowance when I was a teenager. No. Sometimes you'd like ask your mom for some money to get something in Miss Selfridge and, or a vintage shop or something and that was it but uh, <laughs> yeah you make it pocket money I yeah. suppose before you would have had it like a part-time job or something yeah. but like yeah mm. no clothes allowance no freak not even the, the the ordinary folk in Sweet Valley have clothing allowance <laughs> um, but they're all having a great time and they go to Casey's and there's some extremely unhealthy calorie chat which we will not repeat mm-hmm. here no um and uh, pa- Pamela admits she went there with Bruce on one of their two fucking dates. <laughs> and she's like, oh, they're like, oh, you know, so going to be, you know, so sore point. But she says, for the first time in weeks, I can say his name without bursting into tears. Oh, God, Pamela, seriously, you're too good for him. Oh, God. But yeah, Pamela does. She kind of thanks uh, the two of them and says that, you know, she's these last few days have really helped and she's starting to feel more sure of herself and a bit more confident and thinks it was the right thing now to move to Sweet Valley High uh, and says, look, you know, I'm going to be OK, even if things don't work out with Bruce. And then inside she's like, even though I'll never stop loving it. <laughs> it's like, Pamela, oh, stop it. But she kind of says, you know. 
Yeah, she kind of says, you know, I'll survive. But then Amy is like, you'll do better than that. Uh, you'll find your niche and you'll be a star. So Pamela is kind of getting some of her old kind of self-confidence back and she's feeling better and she's reassured as well by just the fact that they are being so friendly to her and she's she's feeling good about things now, which is good for her. But, you know, you'd hope that that would stay the course and she'll just have enough self-respect to do her own thing. <laughs> Yeah, God. Well, I mean, I do feel like we're being asked to invest way too much in Pamela's supposed charms when we've literally just seen her moping about Bruce and being really good at tennis. True, actually. Those are her only characteristics Mm. and also that she has black hair because I've mentioned a lot. (laughs) Well, we want somebody with a personality. Someone, uh, there, there is somebody else hanging out at the mall. I'm so happy. I'm so happy she's here. <laughs> Who could finally be in Sweet Valley, Karen? It's fucking Margot, lads. She's in the Valley Mall. It's happening. <laughs> she is there and she feels reborn. Oh my God. She's uh, Her grey eyes are shining with a triumphant light. I'm finally here. So yes, her, her little detour to San Diego had been worth it. It might have postponed her arrival, but uh, but this way she knew she was home free and no one had followed her to Sweet Valley. She'd erased all her trails, cut all the strings that tied her to her old life. And even though she's been in town for an hour, she feels different. Uh, she's starting a brand new life and decides she's going to pick up a few essentials. So she strolls into the department store, Lytton and Brown, which we have had before. Uh And uh, on her way, she passes a small group of girls about her own age coming out of an ice cream parlour. Margot studied them from afar, her gaze both curious and coolly objective. One girl was slim and elegant with long, glossy brown hair and an outfit that looked casual, but had probably cost a fortune. Uh Another was dramatically pretty with pale skin, wild dark hair and bright blue eyes. The third girl was a gorgeous California blonde with legs about a mile long. Uh, And as she walks past them, she can hear them say Elizabeth Wakefield, Sweet Valley High. So she kind of stares after them and she's like oh, Sweet Valley High those girls are part of my new life too she'd be their friend soon soon all of Sweet Valley would adore her fight for her favour but that whole blonde one Margot thought resentfully she's too pretty too perfect she might have to go <gasps> oh come on Amy you don't deserve this Run on your mile long legs, Amy, as fast as you can. <laughs> I mean, Amy's been kind of likable in the last couple she, of books. Do you know what? Compared to everybody else, she actually has. Who would have thought? But yeah, of all the ones to murder, it's like, no, 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 not Amy. There's so many more better people to murder right now. There's another blonde one who's, um, you know, you, no, I mean, I wouldn't miss her. They got rid of Jessica. Like, just <laughs> take her first. Oh, God. Well, Lila, Ly- uh, Margot heads to Lytton and Brown. And uh, when the salesperson approaches her, she's like, oh, what is, what's she looking at? But um, she realizes that this salesperson is just, you know, doing her job. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pushes her off, casually steals a silk scarf. Oh, my God. Margot. You are perfect for this town. You're going to fit right in. I'm so excited for you. First thing she does is go for the silk. And then uh, pausing only to swipe some jewels from a, from a jewellery stand, she wonders if they sell wigs. <laughs> <laughs> and smiles to herself and thinks, I'm going to like Sweet Valley. Oh, hell yes, you are, Marco. <laughs> and we're going to love it. <laughs> we sure are. But we cush then to Fowler Crest. 
where Lila and Grace are relaxing by the pool and Grace is distracted and she wonders what she's going to do next and says, you know, I don't regret coming here to be with you, but I left my job, my home, my life in Paris. Uh, and, uh, you know, her her heart, she, there's no question in her heart that her place is here with you. But now, and Lila's eyes light up and her heart floods with joy. She thinks there are sparks rekindling between her parents. Wither. Pierre. Like, justice for Pierre, honestly. I know he was a bit of a dose, but like, at least tell us if she's dumped him or something because he has just been left for dead. Like, like he was literally her serious enough lover that uh, <laughs> she took him for to her reunion to her daughter and frankly yeah. blew off her daughter to spend time with him when he was having a tantrum about being on his own at the dinner table or whatever the fuck it was. Exactly. And like, it's so weird because he was an obstacle like to Lila and Grace oh. reuniting properly and I was just like well he's out of here I guess no need to worry about Pierre anymore well I guess we know that Grace has uh, bad taste in men because she says it's finally time to uh, tell the truth to Lila about what you know her and her father's relationship Lila mm-hmm. is nervous as well she might be as Grace begins her tale and begins with the revelation that when they met she was only 19 and he was 27 ooh <sighs> Yikes, 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 George. Like, not mm-hmm. illegal or anything, but a bit like... 19, mm, really? Yeah, mm, not great. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> decide to get married after knowing each other for less than two months. All the clams and jazz must have got to their heads. <laughs> they food poisoning. They didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> also, we get some severe reckoning here, I'm pretty sure, from the whole Fowler saga. Because we're told that her family were old money. Her father didn't even have to work. That's how rich they were. And George's father was a butcher. That was the... Mm. Was he? I mean, mm. we know that he was descended from, like, French aristocrats. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember now what the kind of Sweet Valley leg of that journey was or what the crack was with it. But, like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, because it did end with like Lila being born because we were laughing about a flat face baby, I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> but yeah, like George's dad being a butcher, like that just doesn't ring any bells. She did a lot of fancy ancestors. Mm, true. Well, anyway, apparently where he was obsessed with making a fortune and thought that she wanted him to you know, be as rich as her her own father. And uh, they... they so he was working all the time and when they so they hardly saw each other when they did they fought and so she started turning away going back to her old you know family and friends for company so he felt excluded and then when Lila was a baby she threatened to leave him because the atmosphere in the house was so awful and he promised to change and said everything would change but she was like no we need a break from each other Um, so she went back to her parents house with Lila Hmm. but then George gave her an ultimatum yeah, so he said, uh, yeah, that either she'd come home with him or he was going to take Lila away from her, that he'd use his newly acquired money, power and influence to have her legally declared an unfit mother. Uh, and Lila's shocked by this, that he actually said that. And Grace is like, yeah, he said it and he did it. Because when Grace insisted on separation, George made good on this threat. He took her to court. She lost custody of Lila, was even denied visiting rights uh, and obviously was absolutely fucking devastated by all this. Um and yeah, because it turns out that uh, when George had like made his fortune, Grace's family lost all their money. So she kind of had no sort of power or influence at all anymore. She didn't have a proper education. She was fucking 19, like mm-hmm. when she was married to this guy and having babies. So yeah, so he just absolutely screwed her over, basically took Lila away from her. So she had nothing left. So she had to, um, this was it. He, she, she knew that he wanted him to go crawling back 
She wanted, he wanted her to go yeah. crawling back to him because he basically ruined her life. So instead she ran in the other direction all the way to Europe. So this is how she ended up in France. Um, and Lila is just so shocked by all of this. It's like she didn't know whose behavior was more incomprehensible, more unforgivable, her father's or her mother's. It's like, that's pretty fucking clear cut now, Lila. Because yes. George was an absolute monster there. It's like that yeah. was just outrageous from him. Mm. And she says, look, I understand, I suppose, how you could leave him, but how could you leave me? And she clearly didn't have any choice because she didn't even have visitation rights. I don't know what Lila expected her to do. But anyway, she says the custody hearing was so disorientating um, that she she started to basically believe that she Mm. was an unfit parent, that all the stuff that George's lawyers said about her was true. I guess they were better at spinning a tale than Ned. And and she thinks even though what your father did to me was horrible, I knew he loved you with all his heart and you'd be brought up with everything a little girl could want. And Lila's like, yeah, sure, everything, but no mother was doomed. Fair trade. And then Grace reveals that in a strange twist of fate, her family lost almost all their money when Lila was a baby. So she had no money, no education, no job skills, and she but she had to build herself up um, from nothing and learned how to not be intimidated by other people's power. But um, she always vowed she'd look, she'd return to Lila someday, somehow. So mm. she urges George or Sorry, urged Lila, don't be too harsh on your dad. The important thing is that he called me. Took a lot of courage to do that. Fucking hell. Like, I mean, that was absolutely awful from George. And like, I never really had particularly strong feelings one way or the other about George Fowler. Like, yeah, yeah, he kind of sucked as a dad, was never really around. But, you know, he also seemed, you know, that he did care about Lila. But like, that is horrendous from him. Spiteful and abusive. Yeah. But uh, anyway, she says that she had to come. Grace says she had to come when she heard that, you know, Lila needed her. And Lila's somehow delighted by all this, is not in any way upset by the revelation about her dad. And uh, a tiny smile plays over her lips. She thinks, I'm going to reunite this family, even if they didn't realise it themselves. She knew her parents were falling in love again. And uh, basically, she's going to have a happy family, whether her parents liked it or not. And she had a <laughs> feeling they were going to like it. Oh, God. I just can't get over the fact that Grace would be even entertaining George like with any kind of a reunion here I mean yes obviously come back for Lila now that you're not gonna be put in fucking jail for doing so but like yeah the fact that she was even civil to George is kind of mind-blowing to me after what he did to her like and also in the last book we heard George sort of giving out to her and and Grace like sounding really upset like Lila Mm. couldn't hear the details but there was something you know not cool happening so I don't know weird yeah suddenly it's like oh they clearly still love each other (laughs) really (laughs) (sighs) anyway we cut back to SVH where Todd leaves basketball wondering about Liz and he's like oh maybe I'll I'll just wander over near the Oracle office but what if I do bump into her oh no wouldn't be a good idea I'd better you know go the other way but of course he bumps into Liz like, he does. Literally. Like it's all a load of nothing. Like he sees her and they're basically like strangers because he's just like, oh, I was just, uh, and they kind of both stand there, not knowing where to look, not able to look at each other. He knows he's been a jerk, uh, but like he's still just standing there going, can't she tell that I feel this way from my letter? Doesn't she know I'd do anything to make it up to her? So like fucking say something. Say like, yes. did you get my letter? 
did you read my letter? Mention the fucking letter, Todd. Open your mouth. Oh my uh, God. But all he says is like, oh, I was on my way home from practice. And Liz is like, yeah, yeah, cool. I've got to, uh, and kind of points towards the door because Todd is standing in front of it. So he opens it, she runs off and it was weird and awkward. And he's just like, bitter disappointment flooded his heart. Elizabeth still hadn't given him the sign that would let him know she was oh willing God, to forgive Jesus. him. Like, my God, this is not on Liz, Todd. Even if she had read the letter, it is still up to you to fucking cop on, put on your big boy pants and go talk to her properly. Also, the fact you believe he's like, he, oh, he, one stage he opens his mouth to speak, but then he closes it, remembering what Jessica had told him about Liz ripping up the letter and throwing it away. <laughs> and you believed her. Like, you have known her for a long time. <laughs> and even if he is believing her, would he not say, I can't believe you ripped up my letter? Like, just fucking say anything with the word letter in it. <laughs> oh <my laughs> God, you're God. driving me crazy, Todd. <laughs> I don't there's no coming back from this Toddle it's like you are irritating <laughs> at this stage it's true you, you're you done for like you're in the bin for good <laughs> well we cut to Bruce who's leaving school basically having seen the light about Pamela and he, he's bemused he thinks that uh, he can't believe bubble-headed Amy Sutton set him straight it goes to show shallow waters one deep or something like that <laughs> and then he does have a moment of self-awareness Oh, God, yes. It was a long time coming, I'll tell you. But uh, yeah, he thinks back to what Amy had said about having to listen to people if you want to learn their story. And he thinks to himself, he didn't listen to Pamela. He heard some rumours, made a judgment. Uh, and then he kind of thinks about Liz's trial, anybody's trial for that matter. You can't convict people of crimes without giving them a chance to defend themselves. So, um, yeah, he kind of realises then that there's been a double standard at play here, that mm-hmm. like the the that Pamela's lifestyle, the one that had earned her such a bad reputation, which as has been established, was not actually the fucking case. It was rumours and shitty exes that caused his bad reputation. Uh, But anyway, that it hadn't been all that different from his own. He'd bounced from girl to girl, toying with each one until he got bored and then moving on with no regard for their feelings. No intention of ever making a commitment, but being a guy, he'd gotten away with it. He hadn't been branded with a reputation as easy and fast. The double standard worked in his favour. So he realises finally that this Mm -hmm. is actually very fucking unfair. Uh, and he also realizes that the reason he was running around mm. uh, with all these girls was because he was so upset and sad and devastated after losing Regina. So he kind of thinks, God, you know, maybe if if that's how Pamela was acting, maybe it was because she was also hurting over something. Um, but like, yeah, then he just kind of still thinks, yeah, but, you know, would they ever find their way back to the to feeling the way they had when oh, they first met? God. <laughs> yeah, because... Um, Yes, he's, uh, he wonders if she accepted him, you know, despite his past too. But just while he's thinking, maybe, maybe, uh, she, you know, who, what, what could be? But then his thoughts are, are disrupted by a harsh male voice uh, around the corner saying, come on, let's take a ride. And he hears a girl say, but I don't want to go with you. Now, please just leave me alone. And Bruce knows that voice. You've been hearing it in his dreams. <laughs> it's Pamela, of course. <laughs> and then we get a very horrible but quite explicit uh, statement because he hears the guy say, he didn't choose to play hard to get. Hey, it's okay with me. I mean, again, this guy knows that she did. So uh, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, it's okay with me because the whole point was that all the guys <laughs> tried and failed to sleep with her. Yes. But had yeah. to keep spreading the rumour. Um. So he says, it's okay with me if you want the Sweet Valley High boys to think you're a virgin. I can't believe they've said that word. Oh my God, I know it's scandalous for Sweet Valley High. <laughs> but I know different. So just get in the car. 
<gasps> and Pamela cries, I said no. And Bruce wades in, says, get your hands off her. And aims a rock hard punch at the guy's jaw, knocking him flat. He knocks this dude out. Like, yeah, this lad has hit the deck. Uh, and I think he just kind of gets up and runs off. But uh, yeah, he he then like goes over to Pamela, who's obviously like fucking shaken uh, and is crying, obviously. But uh, yeah, Bruce goes over to them, goes over to her and says, you know, he had to stop those tears. He was going to dry them all one by one. And then he was going to make sure Pamela Robertson never had another reason to cry ever again in her life. So yeah, he steps towards her, wraps his arms around her and says, I'm sorry, Pamela. I'm so sorry. And just like whispers apologies into her hair as she cries. Uh, so, you know, once again, all, all, all you need is a bit of fucking... <laughs> Like a crime about to be done to you or you're about to die, uh, then, you know, then it's fine. <laughs> then you've proved you're worth saving and accepting. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, couples that have got together for no real logical reason or <laughs> and a very uh, spurious life or death situation, um, <laughs> we cut to a moonlit beach where Todd is with Jessica yet again even though she knows he doesn't want to be here. And she clings onto him again as if she's holding onto a life raft. Second life raft metaphor in this book. Oh, yeah. And she thinks if Todd didn't know enough to be happy with her, she'd have to work that much harder. Um, oh, Jesus. And she thinks that uh, if he left her, her life uh, would be, basically, she would be devoured by the waves and serves her right. Mm. <laughs> it's the least she deserves, surely, at this stage. And then she finally goes pretty much too far. Because she tells Todd, you know, I never did understand uh, what you saw in Elizabeth. Even before she started wrecking people's lives and killing people. She wasn't exactly, literally just got found innocent, Jessica. But anyway, she wasn't exactly a prize. It starts going on about how everyone thought she was sweet and good. But I knew the real Elizabeth. And she's cold and selfish and conniving. She uses people to get what they want. And then twists it around to make it look like she's doing them a favour. And Todd is like, oh, what the fuck? And she's like, look, I know you don't believe me, Todd. You hold on to your happy memories. But I don't want you to be fooled. You're a status symbol, a prop made you look good and Todd tries not very hard to get away from her he sort of pulls away but he shakes his head and is like uh, look it uh, wasn't like that but she clings onto him and she has a playful flirtatious laugh oh my god like Jessica has fully like yeah tipped into hysteria at this point because she's just like yeah laughing crazily and like have it your way cling to your fantasy I won't be jealous of the past of a ghost that's the present I care about and you're with me now aren't you Todd and Todd just kind of shrugs and she continues laughing again this time almost hysterically like I'd say we have gone past that point at this stage (laughs) and she starts going remember the night of the jungle prom Todd and like Todd all kind of tenses up at this he's like remember I wish I could forget it and Jess is like but why that was the night it really started for us oh my God. for you and me remember you were named Bram King and I was chosen queen and like she gazed up at him <laughs> her eyes glittering obsessively <laughs> it was like a sign that we were intended to be together just like this and Todd is like what the fuck is happening here and Jess is like what why are you looking at me as if I've gone mad and Todd is like because you have that was the night of this whole fucking tragedy the night Sam died don't you remember and Jessica just kind of shakes her head because she doesn't want to remember those things why did Todd keep bringing them up no she whispered standing on tiptoes so she could press her lips against his no like Todd what are you doing I mean, come on, dude. Like, there's spineless and there's this. I don't even know what this is anymore. Like, you know that she has gone full Margot. Like, 
<laughs> she's laughing hysterically and maniacally. She's uh She's she's telling blatant lies about Liz. Like this, she is not in her right mind, and we don't yeah. hear whether she kisses him back. But I bet she, bet he does. I know he does. Wow. Like he, all he does is stand there like an Egypt the whole time. It's terrible. <laughs> well, we get an absolutely stupid scene next that goes on for about. I'm not joking about five pages. Basically, <laughs> the college gave Stephen her uh, Billy's new address because they don't uh, care about stalkers or privacy, and <laughs> he's found it. Knocks at the door with flowers, but when he apologizes, there's a fake drama movement, and we're told, and then she smiled. Oh God! And. Uh, <laughs> For so Stephen's soul floods with joy and for an endless perfect moment they stood in silence smiling at each other. Who the fuck cares about this? <laughs> Literally nobody. <laughs> they make up, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but then we cut to the casa where Liz is waiting for Jessica to come home. She knows she's out with Todd and she's like, mm-hmm. I have to try and build a bridge with her. This is just the worst thing that's happening. Like it's one thing to lose Todd. That's bad enough, but I can't live without Jessica. I mean, seriously, Liz, you can. You're better than better. <laughs> so she finally corners Jessica uh, in the kitchen when Jessica comes home and Ned and Alice are in bed. And she says, did you have a nice time tonight? Jessica turned slowly to look at Elizabeth. Yes, I did, she replied. Her voice is blank as her eyes. I was with Todd. And then she smiled and says, we did have a nice time. A very nice time. And Liz is a fucking saint here. Oh my God. Yeah, like Liz, I mean, probably quite unnerved by this, <laughs> frankly, frightening appearance from Jessica. Just says, you know, oh, I'm glad. I don't mind that you're dating him, she added, lying. Uh, I only want for you and me to talk to get, talk again, Jessica. I can't stand this. The smile never left Jessica's face. Placing her glass on the counter, she turned on her heel and walked from the room. Like, Jessica is terrifying here. She has fully gone past the point of like weird hysteria here this is something else again altogether <laughs> but yeah Liz just kind of whispers Jessica please after her and is just left on her own uh in the kitchen and just wonders like what has happened to her what have I done to her Jessica wasn't just mourning Sam's death she wasn't just sad she was different she was turning into a person Elizabeth feared she would never know never be close to again I mean you know you're not ready to hear this Liz but you are better off Oh, truly, you know, it's okay sometimes to not talk to family if they're not good people. So, you know, it seems to be one of those cases. I mean, Jessica's been getting away with horrific shit for years. Mm. And now, like, she's crossing all sorts of lines because I know she's grieving, but she's, this is not like she was always lovely before and now she's changed. Like, this is just what, like, it's almost like she's been given an excuse to let her true freak flag fly. It is chilling. Yeah. Speaking of freaks, <laughs> we head down to Sweet Valley to a little boarding house. And who could be there feeling good about the world? Oh, it's our absolute fave. It's Margot. Hey! <laughs> She's looking at the want ads in the local paper because she needs a job fairly quickly if she doesn't want to end up back on the street. Um, and she does look through the paper to see if there's any, you know, report, like anything about Josh getting the police mm. on her, like is she a wanted woman? But there's nothing. Then... She sees the front page and the story there puts another idea in her head. <laughs> yes, this is it. Liz is the front news uh, story on the uh, on the paper. So yeah, because so Margot uh, enraptured reads the article, her eyes widening, uh, and she sees that uh, Liz was on trial but acquitted, charged with vehicular manslaughter. Um, 
But then she realizes, yeah, Liz uh, found not guilty in the death of her twin sister's boyfriend, Sam Woodruff. So twin sister really kind of uh, makes her freeze because inside her, her brain was whirling. Every nerve in her body tingled. She'd always wanted a twin sister. <gasps> and then slowly she puts on the wig. <laughs> She's in a wig, folks. She's in a wig. And I know lots of <laughs> listeners were waiting for like a scene where Margot was going to dye her hair blonde and it not be like a shitty strawy mess. But like Margot's going for a wig because she's got class, you guys. She's got the <laughs> finest wig the Sweet Valley Mall has to offer. Honestly, this must be some kind of lace front magic oh is all I can say because there's no way some shitty mall wig <laughs> will do justice to the Wakefield blondness, you would imagine. <laughs> Unless she went and shaved Alice's head oh. and put it on her own head. <laughs> well, she thinks she changed the colour of her hair and changed her identity. Now all she needed were blue-green contact lenses. And she heads for the door and thinks, twin sister, we're told something clicking as the final puzzle piece fell into place and a plan gelled in her brain. I am Elizabeth Wakefield and I have a twin sister. She smiled, the tiny dimple in her left cheek deepening. Watch out, sweet Betty. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so excited for Marco to just rampage around this gap. <laughs> well, she'll be rampaging soon because that was the end. Oh my God, that is a great ending. And I know it's weirdly anticlimactic that all the trial stuff comes to an end like nearly mm-hmm. halfway through the book and then all the rest of the stuff is like, oh, I don't care about this. But you can always count on Margot to fucking deliver. Like, oh, oh to go out with a, a bad bang. bitch. <laughs> I love her. So do we have any stats and outfits? Oh my goodness. Okay, we have, yes. Okay, we have some stats. The okay. Wakefield blondness uh, got eight mentions okay. this time around. Okay, okay. Just pretty, pretty good going. Not bad. Now, some, some of that was via the medium of Margot's wig, but still counts. Still fine. <laughs> the blue-green eyes got three shout-outs. Uh, and then, kind of hot on the Wakefield heels, we've got Pamela's black hair with three mentions and uh, two mentions of her blue-green eyes. Uh, and then Margot's black hair got four mentions. Oh, wow. Uh, More than Pamela. There you go. Yeah, she's creeping up there <laughs> in more ways than one. Uh, and her grey eyes got two mentions. And then people cried 18 times because wow. there remains a lot of crying in these books. Is that a record? I had to go back and check, but no, the last one had 22 instances <laughs> okay. of people crying. So that's going to take some beating, in fairness. <laughs> um, it was pretty light on outfits, though, uh, but I wasn't too upset about that because I feel like we've been beaten over the head with outfits mm. recently and these are long ass episodes and we need to go to get some sleep and get out of these chairs oh, we do. Uh, so, <laughs> so in this one we have Alice's outfit uh, for the first day of the trial uh, she wears a slim navy suit and a cream coloured silk blouse <laughs> Uh, and then at one point when Pamela is shopping with Amy and Lila, she's uh, eyeballing a red and black checked miniskirt, which Ooh. sounds pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah, On my memory, there were more outfits from that shopping trip, but I guess they were kind of vague. They were easy. Yeah, there wasn't really any detail at all. So it was really just that uh, 
that uh, skirt mm. that popped up but Lila ended up buying it anyway so that was uh, the end of that well listeners do let us know what you thought of the verdict um, are you a... what's your verdict on the verdict oh very good um, <laughs> well is your verdict that there wasn't enough inner voice or uh, Pierre let <laughs> us know we are on Twitter at SBH podcast Yes, you can fire us over an email at svhpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we are on Instagram at svhpodcast, where several of you, in, uh, in, <laughs> including Claire BH, said, what kind of shitty reality show is Hugs? The Hugs are introduced to three girls who address, whose addresses are given to these random men. No one films <laughs> the dates. They just have to come back later and explain what happened. Yeah, it was weird that there was no footage of any of the dates at all. <laughs> like, that was very strange. Yeah, like, what is that show? Like, it is, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's not enough content for, uh, for a whole series. No, to spin at least like 25 minutes out of an episode of something, at least. Mm. Like, just, yeah, not enough going on there at all. Uh, people did point out that, yes, it might be unusual for white teens and minors to be held uh, by mm. the authorities in America, but uh, not... Uh, a lot of other people so yes uh, we we should have borne that into account I think yeah uh, depressingly yes <laughs> the American justice system is uh, mm. is allowed to keep people for of all ages especially people from uh, minority groups um, for a very long terrifying time so yes I guess white privilege in action in Sweet Valley kills the mm. breeze true um, but uh, yes there was also a lot of uh uh, speculation over um, uh, over who was on the cover, but the vote did come in, <laughs> and I disagree with it. But the people, uh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> three hundred people can't be that wrong. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was it was a landslide victory for Nicholas and Anne, uh, and uh, yeah, I know some people are quite furious about it, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I laid out the facts for each side, I think, pretty objectively. But uh, you are the, went for not the Ned, basically. This is why I should have been on that fucking case. I would have, I would have sorted all that shit out. Yeah, and a lot of people also questioning why nobody suggested that this drink was spiked. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, there's we we're being left with so many questions with these final, you know, this this mini series because I guess the they seem to have just been throwing a lot of shit at the wall and hoping <laughs> something stuck. True. <laughs> oh God, yeah. A lot of people were quite um, traumatized by. Uh, Margot's killing of Georgie, mm. I think, and uh, yeah, some people did point out that it's it's quite point horror in uh, yeah. in tone, which it definitely is. And they would have been big around this time as well, I suppose. Uh, and I would have been reading point horror too at the same time. And it it is a similar vibe, definitely the Margot stuff, anyway. Because mm. point horror, like they was full on fucking killing left, right, and center in those books, uh, and they were great. I really liked them as well. I must say. <laughs> but. Uh, we have to uh, to to share. Speaking of uh, pop culture, Jenna Kovacs. Oh my God, you genius, Jenna. <laughs> we oh, we love you, Jenna. We joked about Margot playlist, <laughs> and Jenna delivered. Oh my God, Jenna! 
you made it happen and we love you for it. And it's our pinned tweet on Twitter now, so you can go find it there because you absolutely, if you haven't yet, you need to check out this playlist because it is, it is a work of art. I Every time I look at it, I'm fucking speechless. It's so good. I laughed out loud multiple times. As I was there were a lot of songs on it. I mean, I think the fact that it has both Bad Babysitter and Running Down the House. Stop, I screamed at those two in particular. <laughs> but I actually don't want to spoil it for people because it really is so entertaining and has to be seen to be believed. So if you go to our Twitter account, SVH Podcast, you can follow that link and see Jenna's, uh, Jenna's curation. And it is an absolute joy. I think we should all be listening to it after after every episode to uh, to celebrate Margot with a breath of fresh air, frankly, that she is bringing to Sweet Valley. Oh, absolutely. A nice way to unwind after all the madness. Uh, we also got an email, a great one from Sarah Cohn, who wanted to to put a, a point in the ghostwriter's favour uh, as someone who was a teenager in the 90s. And she, she oh, says yes. that uh, the general response to Lila's purple streaks and Nicholas's response to Jackie's outfits are 100% correct. So Sarah was in high school in California from 92 to 96 and the golf metal, hardcore, uh, grunge punk, indie, anyway, alternative kids were regularly side-eyed, called weird, deviant freaks, etc, etc. So in one notable incident, she says to place uh, late 94, early 95, she was walking in the hallway of our school with a friend. I, a cis woman, had a very short pixie haircut, was wearing a flannel shirt, baggy corduroy pants and docks, like very much a 90s Mm -hmm. outfit that would have been very common in 1993. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her friend, a cis man, had long hair well past his shoulders oversized army surplus jacket work pants and vans uh, someone walking behind us said super loudly and with complete disgust Ugh, look at them you can't even tell which one is a guy and which one is a girl now they thought it was hilarious of course uh, but definitely not an uncommon sentiment in her school Whoa. so unfortunately it seems like the ghostwriters are onto something with this weird attitude towards anybody not wearing fucking slacks and a polo shirt in Sweet Valley. I mean I I guess we shouldn't be surprised by anything that goes on there but that really did (laughs) take me aback but uh, we that's thank you so much for for letting us know Sarah because Mm. seriously we realize uh when doing this podcast that there is a lot that we do not know about American teen life and so much. <laughs> Even though, uh, you know, the picture that uh, Sassy, which I used to get every month, gave of was of uh, America full of full alternative love and teens, like you listening go. to Nation of Ulysses and Bratmobile. Clearly, the reality was very different. So, <laughs> thank you for sharing with us. Um, but uh, we will, listeners, uh, be ha- uh, be back with you in the clubhouse uh, next week for mm. our Pi Beta Al- to, with our Pi Beta Alpha sisters because of course if you can't wait two weeks for more Sweet Valley Madness you can join a, our uh, non-toxic sorority <laughs> by signing up to Headstuff Plus yeah head over to headstuffpodcast.com uh, and you can sign up to support the show so you can spread your money around to up to three other shows uh, all together uh, and yeah once you become a member of Headstuff Plus you get access to all the bonus content from all the shows on the network and of course our mad sorority Pi Beta Alpha uh, where we recap the TV series uh, in the off weeks between these episodes and we're having a blast it's absolute chaos over there and uh, we're all mad about Winston it's great fun we are it's an absolute <laughs> delight and come on you really have to see the episode with old timey gangster Vincenzo <laughs> when we say he has to be seen to be believed we made it 
<laughs> it's true. <laughs> we also get canonical Lila and Jessica in OTG mode. Mm, complete so with good. fedoras. It's a delight. Thing of beauty. <laughs> so Pi Beat Alpha Sisters, we will see you in the clubhouse next week. And we will see everybody in the main feed in two mm-hmm. weeks' time. When we find out what happens when hopefully Pierre turns up at the back of the church, Dustin Hoffman in the graduate style, to stop the wedding. Oh my God. <laughs> See you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.